All right, inappropriate Earl listeners. You're probably wondering, why am I not hearing the dulcet tones of Earl Skakel right now? Well, and why am I hearing this nasally Jew voice? It's it's because Eric Abenante has taken over the podcast today. I'm going to be interviewing Earl about his experiences on the Showtime show, I'm Dying Up Here. And so, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be discussing that. And if, if you want to, we're going to be discussing the show and there might be spoilers. So if you want to catch up on the show, the first five episodes are on YouTube on the Showtime show uh, account. And then also, you know, it's on Showtime. So you can check it out there, obviously. But yeah, so uh, <laughs> first of all, Earl, um, thank you so much for having me on. You know, I really don't have any credentials. This is pretty, it's pretty amazing. I've only like all I've done is really roast, and so it's kind of cool that you know I, I even can do this. Well, don't let the fact that you have no credentials uh, <laughs> stop you from coming on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but yeah, these are actually some of the more popular episodes where people, I guess, take over my podcast and uh, interview me because. Uh, you know, we've pretty much hit uh, everything we can in roast battle, um, but I'm sure we'll talk about that for a second because it's the reason I'm on. I'm dying up here, so uh, you know, I think people have fun getting a insight into my brain. Yeah, and you touched on something that I want to get to. My mission statement for the inappropriate Earl listeners is that I want Earl to say pretty much all stories today that are new and fresh stories that have not been told on the podcast. I don't want to hear the repeated stories that he, he gets a lot all the time. So that's, that's really my, my whole goal. Of this podcast is get a lot of new, exciting stories because Earl's been doing a lot of cool new shit lately. So, um, let's start off with this. Um, Earl, I I know from listening to your podcast, you've been doing stand up for 17 years before you had ever gotten on TV, and then within a year, you get on Comedy Central uh, with the roast battle. You get on, um, you're on the Jellies on Adult Swim, and now you're gonna be, and now you're on. I'm dying up here on Showtime. So what is it like? I guess just paint the picture of what was the journey like towards the destination you're at now uh just a lot of uh, years of rejection and uh bombing and doing well and having it not really matter uh i mean been rejected you know uh, i think i auditioned for montreal uh maybe three or four years in a row didn't get it uh, <laughs> pretty much turned down by every uh late night tv show as comics because uh, I have no representation uh, still. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think if uh, anyone can get uh, motivation from my path, it's uh, you don't necessarily need a manager or an agent until you got things really cooking. Because, uh, you know, like Rob Schneider told me, and I think he said Steve Martin told him, it just becomes so good at what you're doing that they have to pick you. And uh, that's. It seems like simple advice, like, well, no shit. <laughs> you know, it's like telling a quarterback who's trying to get into the NFL, uh, well, just throw accurate passes. But there's a lot of quarterbacks who don't throw accurate passes. Yeah, yeah. So it helps to hear uh, 
sage advice from people who've already made it like Rob and, you know, Steve Martin told him. Uh, so, uh, I became, so, you know, roast battle, although it's not my, uh, typical, uh, sense of humor you know i like to make fun of myself i don't really like to make fun of other people uh i became uh good at it and so i got so good at it that comedy central had to um use me i mean they didn't have to but like uh you know i got so good at uh doing the house hater house racist heckler whatever you want to call it it's had a few names whether it was with me or me and Whitney Rice, uh, who was amazing, um, or you know, I there was a probably a four or five month stretch where I had partners, uh, you know, Omid Singh, Pat Barker, Olivia Grace, uh, Tom Goss, a uh, couple others. Uh, but uh, I think Comedy Central was like, "Wow, this guy's great," or whatever they said. But we can't really have that character on television. It's just you know we have things called sponsors, um, which I I almost to a degree disagree with. I, I do think it could work on television. If you look at the, uh, you know, there's three seasons of roast battle. I think a lot of people don't realize there was the untelevised season, which was called uh, Jeff Ross Roastmasters Invitational, um, and then you know. Uh, I mean, I was on season one of Roast Battle, but it was technically season two. And then you had the last season. And uh, if you look at the Road to Roast Battle shows in L.A. for both seasons, you know, the hater, whatever you want to call it, whether it's me alone or me and Cena, the Saudi prince, who was amazing uh, with me or, or by himself, uh, it works. But, you know, for whatever reason, it's not used. But I think Comedy Central was like, well, we want Earl on the show. Can he roast? So it uh, turns out I can. Uh, better than most. Uh, and and that's what got me uh, discovered by uh, Showtime. You know, still to this day, I've never met the casting director. <laughs> which is crazy. Like, you think... You yeah. And, and let me say this, like, uh, I hate it when people say they're a part of a show and they're like a very small part of it. You know, they're just trying to bullshit their way into making people think that they're bigger than they are. I am a recurring character. I'm, you know, in four episodes, but they're quick scenes. So it's not like I'm a main cast member. Uh, but, you know, I was the only, uh, I think me and Dom Herrera, the legend of Dom Herrera, were the only comics they brought back. Uh, you know, for multiple episodes, uh, and uh, Jerron Horton, yeah, Jerron Horton, yeah, he's yeah. Uh, it, as well as Jerron. Um, so, and the great Rick Overton, who is oh, yeah. uh, like, there's, uh, you know, the word legends often overused in sports and comedy. Uh, Rick is a true legend, and uh, he's like one of the few comics I've ever been on a lineup whether it be stand-up or Troy Conrad's set list, where it's like I'm I'm intimidated. I, mean, I don't think people uh, really realize how great he is. Yeah. So, uh, But that's how I got on Showtime, and that's how I got on uh, The Jellies. Uh, so, uh, yeah, let me ask you, tying in what you said about Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider said you have to be so good that they they just have to have you. And I think with Roast Battle, obviously... 
you know, between your roast and the hating, you were so good that they were just stupid not to use you, you, you know, and so that's why they had to use you. You were such a easy, big, you know, valuable element that they could have added to the show that, you know, it was, it, it would have been dumb for them not to use you. And so what I'm asking is how did that, how did you use that to be so valuable that the people at the jellies and uh, I'm dying up here felt like, man, it would be so dumb not to grab Earl for this. He is so valuable. Uh, he could bring a lot to these parts. Uh, well, I think in the Showtime case, it was just uh, a little bit of luck where uh, one of the main producers, uh, I, I don't want to say his name just because, you know, I don't want people bugging him. Uh <laughs> next time they see him at the store but i he he was uh i just fell into a, a real hot zone one night where just pretty much every line was working and there's definitely nights for me not so much for cena but like because cena's uh more scripted like he prepares like i don't you know i i don't write one joke beforehand i just go let me see what hits me and and take it from there which i think when it does work in my case it's magical because it's so off the top uh, but there's definitely moments it didn't work you know because it's off the top and there, there would be battles where just nothing would grab me uh and then there would be like the the first time i think i saw you when i was actually judging instead of hating it was you and brandon briggs, briggs who's this huge black dude you're this uh slender white dude so there was like a lot visually to to go on and uh but you know i i struggled at times when it was just like you know just two kind of generic looking people up there it's like okay there's nothing racially i can really say there's they don't really look too weird so i can't really attack their looks and uh but the night uh the showtime producer was up there uh i was just on fire the whole night it was just working and uh i think and this goes into a little bit of how it pays to be nice um i think a few weeks later they were casting for the role of Al Sims, who was like this bitter late night comic. His wife just left him for like her personal trainer. You know, he's doing the same set every night. He's just trying to fuck all the waitresses. You know, he's a drunk, which is funny because I've never had a drink in my life. <laughs> um, and uh, I don't want to mention the comic's name because I don't want people bugging him. But uh, he was like, well, what about Earl Skakel? He works on the show, this comic. And uh, he also has a somewhat association with Roast Battle. Um, it's not Moses, so just don't bug Moses <laughs> on how to get on dime up here, you slobs. Um, and they were like, well, who's that? Of course, they were like, who the hell is that? And he was like, oh, that's the guy who yells out stuff at uh, Roast Battle. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, that, that guy who was kind of plays the Archie Bunker character. He's great. And... Um, I didn't have to audition. It was just like uh, the first episode I was in, which was not the pilot, but the technically the second episode, but the first episode of you know the mm -hmm. the show. Uh, they showed me bombing on stage about forty minutes in, while uh, mm -hmm. Cassie Ari Rayner, who's like amazing, uh, while she's waiting to go on, her and Santino are having like an argument or, or discussion and you see me in the background just eating it. <laughs> so uh, that didn't take much acting. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, they just liked me enough uh, 
where they said, can you come to this uh, next episode's table read? And it was like one or two lines. And, you know, I got some pretty big laughs. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's the same thing. Well, do you want to, they're asking me, do I want to come back and, and do this? I'm like, yeah. Uh, but just to show you how low on the totem pole I was on the cast, I was number 82 on the call sheet. <laughs> so it, the, the first number is one. Santino's one, <laughs> Griffin's two, yeah. Ari's three, uh, Jake Lacey's like four. You know, you get the point. Well, so. Melissa Leo would be number one, but yeah, I get your. I get but I mean, point. yeah, I mean, yeah. Melissa's definitely. <laughs> I don't remember everyone's actual number, but she's at. She probably was one. Uh, I mean, when you win an Oscar, you get to be one on the call sheet. Um, so that goes to show you that, you know, I'm a recurring character, yeah. which was uh, an honor because if you look at the recurring characters on this thing. You know, like I said, Rick Overton, um, uh, Glenn Morshower, who is like, I'm sure some people are like, well, who's that? He's this red-haired actor that literally is IMDb page is, is probably triple what any other working actors is. He was in like 24. He was in like a, an unimaginable amount of shows movies is he a character actor one of those like oh he's that guy kind yeah. of actor okay he's like cool. a, an m emmett walsh type where he, he's literally worked steadily for 30 years but you probably don't know his name he's yeah. like if they uh he was in under siege he played um like just uh an admiral but he was you know he was kind of in every scene but you know a couple lines here and there and and then uh and uh if you if you watched uh 24 the first couple seasons he was uh, President Palmer's uh, main Secret Service guy. You know, he gets roles like that. President Palmer, I yeah. think that's something, you know. Dennis Haysbert, the Allstate guy. Yeah. So uh, there's guys like that. Um, you know, Alfred Molina. Uh, uh, I mean, you could go on and on. Jeffrey Nordling. Uh, I mean, uh, W. Earl Brown. Uh, I mean, it's just like. You would do these table reads and you'd look around and there's probably, you know, 40 people with scripts. And, uh, you know, of course, I don't know why, but I was sitting next to the head of Showtime at every table read. I think it was in three or four of them. Uh, three, because I didn't have to uh, be at the first one for whatever reason. And, like, I'm, like, with the head of the network, like, I'm like, God, don't screw up your two lines. Because, <laughs> you know, each script was probably 60 pages. And my line, you know, literally two lines of dialogue or whatever would be on, like, page 35. So, you know, people are just reading the script and, like, it, it's packed. I mean, Showtime executives to my right, you know, the everyone, you know, the head is, like, literally I could touch his knee. And it's like, there's when I say the head, I, I don't mean one of the heads. There's no one above this guy. Like, there's a ceiling above this guy, and that's it. The uh, security guard says, hello, Mr. President, when yeah. he comes in. Then, like, you definitely has an era of, uh, or an aura of like wow everyone's on their toes and then when melissa leo starts reading her lines it's like wow this is an actress yeah like you could just tell like wow she was amazing in the series she could get nominated it was that good of a performance she was like she was really powerful in a lot of the scenes and had a lot of range yeah i mean she's uh and to be in like even the background and, and there's one scene uh, that's coming up i think there's three episodes left uh where she's in the kitchen talking to all of us, and I'm just in the background in this particular scene. And, uh, you know, they'd shoot it a few times just because it's a very, uh, 
I, I don't want to say what the scene is. Uh, it's just in the kitchen, and then she's like yelling at the comics, and and uh, I was like, wow, this is an actress. Like, you really just kind of like are blown away by her acting ability, and uh, you know, she was uh, amazingly nice to me. You know, she didn't really know who I was, and she would always, uh, especially the last episode, which once again, I, I don't want to talk about uh, what was going on, but uh, she's very cool. Yeah. But like, when the cameras say action, it's business, and it, it's like literally watching you know, Tom Brady in practice. And then when that first snap happens in the first regular season game, it's like a different, like, wow. Mm -hmm. uh, still, I mean, the cast is amazing. It's, it's uh, and it's really like, I was made to feel like I was a main cast member, which is what I love the most out of my mm -hmm. experience. Like Santino, uh, Eric Griffin, Al Madrigal, uh, Jake Lacey, he's, he's amazing. And, uh, you know Michael and Clark, uh, you know who play like the buddies living mm -hmm. in the closet. Everyone's so nice, and you know they, the whole crew treats everyone like on equal terms, yeah. like it, which I found really refreshing. And like, it wasn't really work, and the hours are brutal. You're working fifteen, sixteen hour days. You know you're around the same people. You're just you're waiting and waiting, and and you know you have to rehearse, and then. You leave for an hour or two while they set the you know the cameras and the lighting and and it would never felt like work you know it's like it was just awesome to be a part of something like you know like when I used to watch The Shield and The Wire uh, you got that they loved being around each other and it showed in the performances like you know you watch some shows you could tell the actors don't really like each other you could just tell. Uh, but like uh, Sons of Anarchy is another show where even if you don't like the show, you're like, okay, they're having fun on this show. Yeah. Um, and that's what the I chemistry. Hope. Yeah. Yeah. There's just everyone's cool. Like you could tell in Sons of Anarchy, Ron Perlman got along with Kim Coates. And so in their scenes, it's like, it's like they're really, um, act, you know, they're not acting. It's, it's, you feel like it really is a motorcycle gang. And mm -hmm. hopefully people feel the same way about this because I can tell you, like, there was no attitude on this set. There's no like, no diva or ego attitude. Like Ari would come up to me and like hug me and like, hey, great job. And I was like, great job. I was just standing there. Uh, you're you're the one doing the great job. You're you know, four pages of dialogue and you have to reshoot. Like, you know, it's amazing to be on a set of something like this where even in, in my small stand up scenes, they had to shoot it like four different ways like you shoot the head-on shot and then there's like a mid-range shot and then they shoot from behind you so they could see the you know the audience reaction and then to the side so the you know it's and then in one of your scenes there was an establishing shot where they kind of uh show the setting of what you're even doing so they even have to get like the the widest shot where they're even setting up the scene you know that's a uh, uh that was it was i think it was the first time you were ever on screen they 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 have to set up the uh so at, uh, for those of you who don't know the i'm dying up here is a fictionalized account of the comedy store in the 70s melissa leo plays a fictionalized version of mitzi shore uh well and we'll talk about uh that a little bit later but yeah like you had the cool thing about uh your scene is like 
the cinematography is gorgeous throughout the whole the whole show and uh just the way they shot even your opening scene is like really gorgeous the lighting was perfect and just the way they they set it up it was so cinematic i, I was really impressed well they i mean if you went to uh the place where goldie's the main stage of goldie's is yeah uh I don't want to say where it is. I don't want to, you know, you when you get on a show like this, you want to make sure you do nothing to screw up your chances of coming back. Yeah, the, so, the NDA agreements and, and such. I mean, yeah. literally one wrong thing I could say could like, well, dude, you talked about, you know, the ending yeah. of this episode that hasn't aired yet. Um, yeah. Uh, but the if you if you're lucky enough to ever be on the set of the main room at Goldie's, they could have a comedy show there. Like it's there's booths, there's you know, there's a kitchen to the left that's functional, I think. <laughs> I don't know what the health rating would be at the current moment. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's uh, like you, it, it is a comedy club in the cellar, which is the what, you know, some people are uh, comparing to, the say, the belly room uh, mm -hmm. is you could have a comedy show there. So, uh, you know, it, it's... I think the authenticity is what makes the show. It, it's you have comics being comics, and uh, you know even the the few the actors who are, are playing comics were very open to learning from the comics on set, uh, and the comics were open to learning acting. Not that you can learn it, but like you know, everyone helped each other out. You know, like. You know, there was one cast member who was like, hey, Earl, I know you're a comic. I saw you at Roast Battle. Uh, what would a comic do in this scenario? And, uh, you know, I actually asked him later on, hey, you know, I'm not really an actor. Like, like, are you supposed to look right into the camera? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, there's that scene in Pee Wee's Big Adventure where he's playing the hotel clerk, and it's done as a joke, but James Brolin comes in and asks for his mail, and Pee Wee Herman's like looking right into the camera. He's, not, he's supposed to be talking to James Brolin, but he's yeah. like literally staring into the camera. <laughs> Nothing right now, Mister Herman. Uh, so it's like it was just such a fun set to be on. It it was even the lowest ranked, the PAs on the set were awesome, and like every it was like a family. It really yeah. was like amazing. Well, within that family. Um... I I think you told me that you were like if everyone was so cool, I you must have even stood out within that family because you told me that I think you originally supposed to do like one episode and you kept going for four. Yeah, I was only supposed to do the you know uh, the one uh, the first uh, episode where people saw me bombing on stage right before uh, Ari goes on, and uh, you know I very rarely do I. Uh, kill on stage or anywhere else you know usually i do well but uh you know i'm like i'm a one or two line specialist it's like in roast battle i'm a one round specialist yeah i think i had one three round main event in my history of the show but uh i just you know because of my dry extremely dry delivery and and uh, sarcasm uh you know monotone it, it's there's not many people who deliver lines like i do it's yeah. just it's very uh slow and laborious the delivery so uh you know i think i impressed whoever i impressed and uh you know with each episode i was given you know slightly a little more to do and i you know once again even in the episode where i'm in the most i'm in it for you know maybe 20 seconds 
So, uh, you know, but hopefully uh, in season two, uh, if, if I'm lucky enough to be brought back, it, you know, it would be, um, you know, more to do and whatnot. And because uh, I think uh, the show is so authentic to me anyway, uh, that I think such a life force of any comedy club is the late night comic. You know, yeah, you have the Santinos and the Al's and the and and the Griffins and and you know the the Aries who you know go on in the middle mm-hmm. of the lineup and they're the big names and and Jake Lacey's like the guy who's like everyone's like enamored with, but you know it's also late night. You know, if you've ever been to the comedy store late night, uh, it's amazing to watch Dalia and, and Anthony Jeselnik and Sarah Tiana and Theo Vaughn and. But, you know, some of the funnest moments are going up there at 1230 and, and seeing, you know, like Jamar Neighbors and, and, yeah. and you know, not, I don't want to say me, but like people like me and, you know, uh, Don Barris, of course, uh, it's, it's an exclamation point on, a, on an evening of comedy. Yeah. So it's, I think I'm dying up here covers all, all bases for me. Because as someone who's done it for 17 years, they really hit every angle. The bitterness, you know, Santino being pissed that why everyone gets stuff over him and, you know, him and Ari being in a on-again, off-again relationship and seeing other comics trying to fuck her in front of me. I mean, that <laughs> that's happened to me with my last two girlfriends yeah. who were comics. So it's a little, it definitely hits home for me, you know, in terms of the, you know shenanigans with uh you know comics and and you know whoever you're dating and yeah. and, and the bitterness of well you, you know there was a recent tv show that uh i never could get on it's like wait a minute i just saw this person go on and like they're horrible <laughs> like and i'm you know i don't want to say what show it was but it's like uh, i just did a show with them and they couldn't follow me and i'm pretty easy to follow to be honest <laughs> Uh, you know, if you have a pulse, you're going to seem high energy next to me. Uh, so, you know, that's, I love the show for its authenticity. And I would say it even if I wasn't on it and just did comedy. Uh, I mean, it really, and it, and the, I think the future storylines could really, it could really go for a few seasons because you could take it through the boom of the seventies and then the monstrous boom of the eighties. And you know, thinking you know, season five, season six, you could hit the hit the nineties where it kind of imploded for a bit, and you know, so it's it's got a, a great potential. So yeah, I'll, just I'll, the eighties cocaine years with like Kinnison, like that would be incredible on oh, the yeah. show. Dice and yeah, you know, the, the Roseanne Barr and Gary Shandlings and Jim Carrey's and and the cocaine, yeah, the, <laughs> I mean, the drugs and and you know. uh you know, I think the '80s, especially in the LA comedy scene, were so uh, amazing because not only did you have—I mean, the Sunset Strip was like amazing because you not only had the '80s comedy boom, but you had the '80s glam metal explosion. Yeah. So you could, like, even if you don't like that music, you, you know, you know, you could literally, at the time, it was called Gazzari's. Now it's called Oak One, but like Gazzari's is where like Van Halen played and rat and motley crew and quiet riot and you know bands like that and poison and so you you have that wildness at the western end of the strip 
then you you could either walk well i guess you couldn't uber back then but like <laughs> you know walk or take a cab to the comedy store and see kennison and dice and 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 you know huge norm mcdonald and and whoever else and then you go back to the rainbow tap off the night go to the uh, troubadour to see guns and roses they were playing tuesday nights for free uh so it was just like i don't think you'll ever see an era like that where there's two genres of entertainment exploding at the same time yeah you know comedy sure. and, and music yeah. you know the the metal glam metal you know which people like people laugh at that era now but like in the 80s it was like it was like an ant farm of horny people <laughs> like it was amazing to to live through it i didn't appreciate it at the time but it was like you know i don't think people realized you know how special a time that was so you could definitely hit that for yeah. at least two seasons i mean that was before they even knew what aids was i mean it was a weird interesting time you know? yeah i mean you you had you know i don't i mean i think aids probably started to surface in like the the disco era you know and and then uh you know in the 80s it was kind of still like what is this thing you know is it a gay disease is it a you know straight disease is it both is it does it matter uh so there's definitely many topics you could hit and then you know the 90s is a great uh you know it's like the tech stock uh burst the bubble burst and you could kind of hit that era of mm -hmm. you know because that's a fascinating era because you had like the 70s and 80s comics who were kind of like if you hadn't made it by the 90s you were kind of fucked yeah. and so you're kind of like sticking around and even you could go into the early 2000s you know where like you the know decline of the store a little bit it, so i mean it's the, yeah. the long-term storylines are, are definitely there and the, and the writing's amazing on the show oh yeah i think it's pretty believable and uh so hopefully uh i mean i know uh showtime certainly loves the show and yeah uh you know it's you know i don't know a lot about the behind the scenes uh <laughs> decision making but uh you know we're obviously all hoping for a season two and beyond for sure actually i wanted to ask you i mean i'm obviously not of that era there's no way i could have known except through tapes but when you watch the, and, you know, I know your era is more the 80s than the 70s, but the show is set in the 70s. And to me, it, it looks like what I imagined the 70s to be. But I clearly have no, like no actual, you know, evidence of that. Is it, would you find that the show is a pretty good representation of what the 70s looks like? Because for me, it, it looks like what I'd imagine it to be. But, I you know, I clearly don't know. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, I mean, no expense was spared in terms of the uh, era of authenticity that they gave it i mean that's how people dressed in the 70s that's the, the style of comedy that was uh, in the 70s uh, i mean the, the constant smoking of cigarettes i mean people mm -hmm. forget like i'm old enough to remember like you could smoke in airplanes and they had yeah. non-smoking sections which was completely fucking ridiculous because it's a <laughs> fucking tube like this it's not like they had like a you know an aliens uh type of seal between coach and first class where the smoke couldn't get it i mean it, it's crazy um so yeah, to the 9 11 generation that is unbelievable yeah i mean to any generation past like I, the early 90s it's like you could smoke on airplanes yeah. uh 
so it's i think they nail it pretty much every aspect of it um you know they didn't really have like dane cook style comedy back then so i i think maybe some people might be like well where where's the dane cook and you know uh yeah, was there a Kinnison type? Because I know, uh, like one of the late slots, I think uh, at the store, like one of the latest slots that they used to call that the Kinnison spot. You know, where they put some like really risky and kind of just out there. Is that was that a thing? Was that a thing in the seventies, or did that emerge kind of later? Um, I mean, I think I mean Kinnison was like a lot of people forget that Kinnison was buried in the ballet room forever you know and then uh you know that was slightly before my time uh not much but slightly uh and then i think they would let him uh mitzi would let him go on last and just you know hone his uh craziness uh and you know that's getting back to going to the store today like you know you see some of the later uh comics who go on say after twelve thirty, and it's pretty uh it's pretty impressive what goes on there late night. Like you, you want to say, well, I, God, I, I'd like to see this person in the middle of the lineup. But you know, it, it's the lineups are so stacked these days. I mean, this doesn't really have a lot to do with I'm dying up here. But like, you know, even like tonight, the lineup is insane. It's like Rogan, Jazzlemeg, you know, just heavy hitter after heavy hitter, and like I'm on at like twelve fifteen tonight. It's like, wow, I don't even know if I should be on this lineup. Like. And I'm saying that. Uh, so it, it's, you know, back then, if you look at, you know, I think there's a framed lineup uh, in the manager's office at the store that's, like, pretty amazing to, to look at who was going on. It's like uh, the MC was Argus Hamilton, and and then you had, like, Jim Carrey and, and like, Gary Shandling and Jay Leno and, and, like, pretty much every big comic from the, you know, 80s was, like, pretty much a beginning comic on this framed picture uh of the lineup and it's like wow you know yeah i think that's really what the one of the coolest parts about the comedy store is that there's kind of like this crystallization or encapsulation of like each generation of comedy like you know the 70s and the 80s and the 90s like when you go through those comedy store lineups it is kind of an accurate reflection of some of the great comedians that are what they're doing uh what they're doing today it's it's a it's pretty impressive how i think that's why the comedy store has such a a lore because for decades and decades they've just had so much great talent roll through there and develop there yeah and then it left for a little bit because the some of the bigger name comics uh, weren't a fan of the talent coordinator at the time so they were like, fuck this place. And then, you know, he left and, you know, you have a totally new, uh, I don't want to say regime, but uh, totally new uh, management and, you know, talent coordinators. He's not new, certainly not. But, uh, you know, he's been there for, I think, three years now. And it's like, it's a totally different energy up there now. And like, like Tuesday night, tonight, it's Tuesday night. Uh, you know, uh, when the old talent coordinator was up there, there literally maybe be ten people in the original room. N- nothing going on in the main room. Certainly nothing going on in the belly room. And you know, tonight it's a sold out main room show on a Tuesday night. That's crazy. Uh, the original room show is sold out, and of course you have roast battle 
you know, that goes to like one in the morning that's completely full. So uh, it's, uh, I don't think you'll ever see an era like the 70s and 80s in terms of, uh, you know, uh, comedy. Because, you know, there's just, you know, you have Netflix, Hulu, Amazon. Like, you know, I think a lot of people are like, well, yeah, I want to go see Rogan or, you know, Jeselnik or Hinchcliffe or whatever, but I can just watch their special on Netflix. Mm -hmm. um, you know, YouTube, uh, you know, there's so many ways you can stay home and still be entertained. You know, whereas back then in the 70s and, and 80s, really up until the internet, um, if you wanted to go see comedy, you had to go out and see comedy. So uh, it's a little harder to get people in seats, but you know it, it's as close I think as you can get to the heyday of comedy now, especially at the store. Yeah. So you were talking about um, the previous talent coordinators and like the certain regimes, but obviously the first regime that ever really started was uh, Mitzi Shore. She was kind of like the the first talent coordinator, basically at the store, and so. It's her birthday today, actually. We're recording this and releasing this on her birthday. 87 years old. Yeah, and, we, ho uh, we hope many more. You know, we hope she outlives us all. She probably will. I yeah. mean, <laughs> she, she's a, like, I mean, you talk about, ro I always talk about Roast Battle helping, like, 100 comics. You know, it's helped you. It's helped me. So it's, it, it's helped Moses. It's helped, uh, you know, Pat Barker, uh, you know, Olivia, uh, Omid, uh, Doug Fager, uh, Jay Light. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. countless. Uh, uh, that shows helps, you know, maybe over 100 people. But uh, Mitzi's literally helped thousands of comics, uh, you know, from Argus Hamilton to me, you know, and, and thousands in between us. Uh, so, um, you know, it, it's. Uh, you know, I never got to showcase for her, which is like one of the regrets I have because I was just too scared. Um, but uh, I mean, it's she's an amazing woman, so it's uh, hopefully she'll be around uh, a lot longer. You make a good point. I didn't think about this. Um, her, like, you know, in football, they have this term called like a coaching tree, like, you know, Don Shula spawned like Bill Walsh and then other coaches. And then, you know, Bill Belichick is a lot of like coaches that went on to become coaches kind of a thing. And if you look at Mitzi Shore, the like the comedians she developed and then the comedians that she developed who went on to develop other comedians, she might have the largest comedy tree of like who she's connected to and like the six degrees of it and who who she's like really helped develop uh <laughs> i wonder if that's a first and inappropriate or <laughs> so tv uh just went on sorry about that my bad my no, bad. that's no problem but yeah I, I think i think mitzi really has like you know an incredible like her tentacles are really everywhere throughout comedy for four or five decades almost really I mean, oh yeah it's it's so impressive i mean you could i mean just you know comedy uh it is a family tree like you, know, you had jim carrey and then you know you might say dane cook was derivative of him and then you know chris D'Elia with the high energy comedy and storytelling and 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 uh you know prowling of the stage and and then you know you had like stephen wright and norm mcdonald and then you know it goes on and on and then 
you know, I mean, it's, it's hard to be uh, completely original. Like, you know, everything has, you know, been done before. So everyone's kind of, I don't want to say stealing like Mencia style, but everyone, you know, like I am heavily influenced by Stephen Wright. Mm-hmm. Just, I love the way he delivers jokes, but I've never once tried to s- steal from him. I, I just, I love how he just does it very slow. And, and so I would say I'm derivative of him and like Robert Schimmel, who I, you know, would just, some of his jokes were just so, uh, I don't want to say written in my voice, but like I could see myself doing his jokes. Like, yeah. Uh, when he his one joke was called the gift shop and said hey we're, the gift shop of the hotel he was staying at is like hey where can a guy get fucked around here i guess like in the gift shop <laughs> i just i love that so er- everyone's influenced by everyone but no one would get a chance to see the people before them if it weren't for mitzi giving them stage time so yeah they actually put it really well in the show i'm dying up here um in episode three judy gold the uh she plays an older cat skills kind of jewish comedian you know kind of like an old school comedian but she uh she one of the lines she said in the show is uh you know all comedians are are um jokes and shoulders jokes for people to laugh at and then shoulders for other comedians to stand on and what she's saying is like we kind uh, comedy is like an art form where we all kind of build from each other. Like we're all building from like Groucho Marx and Lenny Bruce and you know, all the beginners of this, like we're standing on their shoulders and stuff like that. So that's what I was going to get at. So the comedians that you, your shoulders you're standing on, you would say are like Robert Schimmel and, uh, and mm-hmm. like Robert Schneider. Uh, Steven, I would say like for me personally, like I love, uh, like listening to like Norm Macdonald and uh, mm-hmm. Stephen Wright and Robert Schimmel and uh, I mean Don Rickles is oh yeah uh, classic so much what I try to uh, base my um, roast battle character on in terms of the hating the heckling thing was like so it's like Don and Archie yeah but if if you read or not read if you listen to his uh, CD Live at the Sands from '68. He was saying the most racially insensitive, wild things without cussing. It was just innuendos, and it was so funny. And, like, you know, this is right around the time of the 68 race riots. And, uh, you know, I, you know, right after civil rights. Yeah. So <laughs> there, I guess there was like a black guy in the back. And uh, Don Rickles was like, uh, hey, to the Negro gentleman in the back, uh, have a nice summer. And, uh, you know, it, now on the surface you're like what the hell does that mean it's like but this is right when the you know the yeah in the, the, in the context of the, in the context of you know the water hoses and the german shepherds and you know the horrible things that were being uh going on in the world it's just like wow that's crazy and he's like they're not gonna bother my house i'm gonna put a big sign up that says come on in plenty of grits uh, <laughs> you know and it's just like you know nowadays kids probably wouldn't think that was funny because they're like there's no saying fuck or saying the n-word to to like emphasize the 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 joke but uh so those are like my you know mentors if you will and archie bunker who's not a stand-up but you know i really liked how carol o'connor could say the most racially stupid things and you i I can't say you liked them but like you know there was some like charm about him like wow this guy's just a buffoon I, was, I always wanted to ask you this, actually, and I'm glad we got onto this. Um, 
just just from a, not even a roast battle perspective, just like a comedian perspective, those Dean Martin roasts, um, you know, that Don Rickles was on, you know, I mean, one of my favorite ones, uh, you can look this up, is like uh, the roast of Wilt Chamberlain, right. which is like remarkable to think about. Like there would never be a roast of LeBron James right now. Wilt I mean, Chamberlain, I mean, Wilt Chamberlain in his prime, you know, got roasted by some of the greats like Joey Bishop and Nipsey Russell. And like the fact that he, you know, had the, you know, had the security in himself to do that. I thought it was pretty impressive. But what do you, was there ever... Did you ever have like major influence from the Dean Martin roast specifically, comedian wise? Oh, that's, sure. That's one of my favorite. That was one of my big influences for roast battle specifically was the Dean Martin roast as opposed to the. I like the Comedy Central roast, but the Dean Martin roast was really what I got my big influences from. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, the Comedy Central roasts are super funny. Like, you know, uh, Greg Giraldo, I thought, was trying to maybe. Uh, bring back a little bit of the Dean Martin roast style. Uh, you know, Jimmy Carr on the Rob Lowe roast. I loved him. You know, a lot of people think we don't like each other, but uh, <laughs> Jimmy Carr is amazing. And we had like the best conversation the last time he was in town about personal stuff to me. And it was like, uh, he was just an amazing guy. So, uh, you know, uh, I love him. And, uh, but you know, back then, you know, you, you know, they were friends. Like Nipsey Russell was friends with Will Chamberlain. Dean Martin was friends with Frank Sinatra, and and you know Joey Bishop was friends with Frank Gorshin, and and you know the Riddler from the original Batman, and and so I think that's the main difference. You know, whereas I think the roast of today, I don't know if the people roasting are necessarily friends with the roasty. Mm -hmm. Uh, like I know Justin Bieber wanted Chris on because he's Chris is his favorite comic. Uh, but I think sometimes, you know, the roasters, you know, are just brought in to roast that particular subject, uh, which is great. I mean, you know, uh, Jeff Ross and, and Kevin Hart are, are great hosts. And, you know, I think Jeff Ross is, you know, the closest you can get in this day and age to Don Rickles. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, but I really liked how back in the Dean Martin roast, they were, you could tell they were friends. Like they could get away with seeing some horrible things to each other because like Don Rickles knew Sammy Davis. So he could say, like, <laughs> I think one of the lines he said something to the effect of, uh, to Sammy Davis, either you're black or you just fell into a bucket of M and M's. <laughs> like that's pretty racially insensitive yeah. to say. And uh, he shook his hand, and then he looked at it and was like, "Hey, does anyone have a rag? I think I have shoe polish on my hand." <laughs> you know, that's pretty crazy. I don't know if you could say that today. Yeah. But Sammy Davis was crying, laughing. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's. Uh, Maybe the dip main difference between the roast of yesterday and today is, uh, you know, they maybe knew each other a little better uh, back then. So uh, you could get away with, uh, you know, a little bit more. Uh, but to me, my favorite roast set ever of any uh, of either era uh, is Foster Brooks, his five minute roast of Don Rickles. Mm -hmm. uh, it's yeah, that's like a great one to me, and I don't think kids today would think it was funny. They, it's because it, to me, it holds up. But I, I don't. You know, I, I watched it, and from my gen, my generation's uh, viewpoint, it definitely holds up. I mean, I don't think people uh, get that Foster Brooks was playing a character, and 
you know, he's talking about fucking Don Rickles' wife, <laughs> and and like, you know, it was just it, it, that's a roast. If you uh, roast battle comics, or or you know, you want to roast in some capacity, YouTube uh, Foster Brooks roasting Don Rickles. That's how you do it. It's not one cuss word. Uh, it's just clever innuendo, and and that's. Uh, you should all be so lucky to do as well as Foster Brooks did. I mean, he was killing for five minutes. Yeah, yeah. I just any of those Dean Martin roasts. There's over two dozen of them. They're all like just master classes and just a wide range of subjects too. Like one of them was Mr. T, which is like amazing that he even stretched back that far. But yeah, um, you know, one, that's like really like golden age of comedy. And Mitzi Shore was really like the head of that i mean she she was really you know the 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 matriarch of the comedy store and i something i found out uh from Polly shore on uh what that he mentioned was mitzi got the store at 40 and tying this back to you you know you are you you spent 17 years in comedy you know waiting to get on tv and there's there's a couple comedians like you that have had that story, like Rodney Dangerfield quit comedy at 25 and spent 30 years writing in a notebook while he was an air conditioning repair man. And then at 55, he got a shot again. And he blew up and became the Rodney Dangerfield we knew. But, you know, there's all these stories of people in comedy getting their break late who are legends you know mitzi short forward to getting the comedy store you 17 years in getting what you've got what would you say to comedians about the journey and how long it takes to get to where you feel like not that you've made it but you're at a point where you feel like you have really accomplished something and looking back that this is this is a moment of like oh this is like a next step um, you know, everyone's different, you know, it's, it's like you, uh, you know, you can't really worry about what other people get. I mean, it's just, there's so uh, many variables in comedy that it's just out of your control. It's like, if you look at, I think the perfect example, cause it's such an interesting cross section of, of comics is the first televised season of roast battle, my season. And you look at the 16 comics who were on it. Now, that's a roasting show. It's not necessarily stand-up, but I think everyone on the show was a stand-up. You know, you've got Olivia Grace at 21, or, or she was 19 at mm -hmm. the time, and you had me at 46. Mm -hmm. She's been doing comedy at that point three or four years. I've been doing comedy at that point uh, 13, 14 years. We arrived on the same show at two completely different paths, uh, and then you had someone like Ralphie May, who's been doing comedy 27 years. Or one of the interesting battles was Christy Cielo versus Jimmy Carr, which is one of the bigger age range. Uh, oh, yeah. And that, but, yeah, that's like you see those disparities a lot. Yeah. But I mean, like, I'm just going like, in I guess the point of bringing up that uh, example was that here you have a comedy central television show. Um and you have 16 people who all got there at different points of their career. I mean, you know, yeah, you could break it down as well by individual uh, battles. Uh, you know, you have Christy Cielo, uh, a, a, a relatively new stand-up, versus uh, probably uh, 
you know, definitely one of the biggest comics in the world, Jimmy Carr. Uh, you uh, have me against Tom Ballard, who's like this amazing Australian comic. Uh, you know, uh, Olivia against uh, K. Trevor Wilson, who's like a legend of Canada and who's been at it, uh, you know, I want to say about 10 years, but uh, like, you know, we all, all 16 of us got there completely different time frames, completely different paths. Uh, definitely completely different success levels or like phases know. in their career yeah yeah i mean ralphie may is a huge comic like he's got like i think four platinum selling albums uh, so many tv specials you literally can't even count them anymore uh and then you have me not one special um <laughs> not one late night appearance on uh, that's literally your first tv appearance yeah so, <laughs> so you know and and you've got uh you know, Sarah Tiana, you know, is, is, you know, another amazing comic, you know, who uh, has been at it a while and uh, she's been on TV before, but you know, uh, you know, Christy, I think that was, might've been Christy's first television, uh, you know, mainstream, you know, so it, it just goes to show you like the wackiness of this business. Like here I, at that time, uh, you know, uh, see the, that season was 2016. So last year, 2016, I'd been doing comedy 16 years, not even a whiff of television. I mean, not even close. Uh, and then I'm on Comedy Central four nights in five days. You know, so it's like you can literally take it can literally take you that long, or you can, uh, you know, get, get it within two years. You know, and, and it's like there's no. You know, people listening to this, open micers or, or whoever, whatever comics are listening, it's like, uh, you never know. You know, you, you come up with a wacky idea. I mean, I've, I've told this story many times before, but like Adam Devine was a door guy at the improv. He wasn't even a door guy. He was the cashier. Uh, and now he's one of the biggest comics in the country, you know, because uh, uh, I think uh, Workaholics started off as like YouTube sketches. Uh, and then bam. So you're literally one idea away from being a, a big player in the business. Uh, or you could, you know, your show could be canceled tomorrow. Um, you know, so it's like, you gotta, that's why you gotta be a little, uh, humble. You know, I mean, I've, I've said it many times before, like, you know, roast battle is amazing, but you know, it's not going to be on the air forever. You know, it, it, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. It's, I mean, Two weeks ago when uh, Jay Light and Kevin McNamara, uh, I don't want to say fought, but battled, uh, I've never felt an energy like I did in that room. Like I was on the back stairs and you could, it was like a rock concert. The energy was just flying out of the room. But, you know, I think there's, uh, you know, a few roasters who, you know, uh, maybe overvalue their place in the stand-up world. Uh, because of their place in, in roast battle. But, you know, you're going to, you know, it's like I could be semi-cocky right now. I mean, you know, technically I'm on three TV shows. I mean, uh, but, you know, they all three could be canceled tomorrow. And then what? Then all the people I was cocky to are going to be like, yeah, fuck you, buddy. You know, I've done pilots. You know, I've told this story before, but, like, I, I did a pilot in 2012 that I thought would be huge. They probably spent close to half million dollars on it they never even pitched it like so it's you know just i guess this is the part where i give like 
career advice and i'm probably not qualified to do that but you know just be humble because you might be on a hit show tomorrow be canceled two days from now i mean there's they the way they cancel shows now it's like you get a couple episodes maybe one season and if, if it ain't happening you're finished so uh you know it, it's it keeps me humble you know it's like you know um do you think getting it 16 years in made it that much sweeter than if you had gotten it two years in? I mean, I probably looking back now, I definitely wasn't ready for anything two years in. I mean, I remember six years in, I auditioned. Actually, I got it. I didn't even audition, but there was a Barry Katz show called One Night Stand Up, and I've told the story before, but you know, actually, I have a fair amount of new listeners, but. Uh, it was a dating show. Uh, the girl never saw you. She heard your act. So she would pick you based on the jokes you told. So uh, it was like a blind date type of uh, thing. So it was packed house at the comedy store. Whitney Cummings is hosting. Uh, the comic before me, a, a very funny uh, Canadian comic named Rob Pugh, was killing. I mean, he I, he's one of the best sets I've ever seen in the main room. He, I mean, he was killing. So... I was after Rob. The table was set for me to kill, uh, ride the wave, as they call it. Um, and uh, this was right around the time of the Duke lacrosse case. So I thought, ah, fuck it. I'm just going to go deep on the first joke. And uh, I did a joke that's probably still to this day my favorite one I've ever written, just from <laughs> the context of it, because uh, the captain of the lacrosse team had a degree in economics. So I'm like, if anyone knew 47 didn't go into two, it was that guy. <laughs> and uh, nothing. I mean, just dead silence. Uh, <laughs> the only two people were laughing out of literally 400, and that was uh, Ian Bag and Dave Taylor. And if you In are familiar, bag. yeah, if you were familiar with the comedy story, you know, Dave Taylor, super funny comic. He's very, very dark. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's not good when he's the only one laughing. Yeah, when the when the comedians in the back are laughing, it, yeah. it's on not, a TV all, tape. Not always, and, yeah, not always a good omen. And Ian Bag told me, "Hey, man, that's the best joke you've ever written," because I used to write for his uh, live talk show, and uh, so that meant a lot to me. But uh, you know, that was six years in, and I thought I was ready. So uh, I mean, I would say now I'm the best comic I've ever been. So I I would feel comfortable doing a Netflix special or a Comedy Central half hour uh or, or the late night you know kimmel said uh now i th i know i'm ready but you know you know you know that that's the thing is you never know you're ready till you do it like in 2006 when we did that uh show at the store i thought i was ready i mean i really did like i remember i'll never forget in the the main room green room at the comedy store even ian bag was like looking at his notes and uh, Rob was looking at his notes and I'm like, what are you guys looking at your notes for? Just let's fucking go out there and wing it. And that's how good I thought I was to myself. Uh -huh. I mean, I was never cocky uh, outwardly, but I was like, I got this. I'm going to get this. Uh, and I was excited because I, I didn't want to do last comic standing, but I thought, well, this is like auditioning to be in front of Barry Katz without having to do that show. And uh, I wasn't ready, you know. I mean, I did so bad that night that he probably remembers me and will never work with me again. I mean, that's how bad it was. I make no bones about how bad I bombed that night. So, you know, you never know when you're ready. You know, it's like, um, you know, you just, you don't know until you do it and then you make adjustments and 
you know, uh, just uh, that's that's the scary thing about comedy is you got to do it and see how you do, and then you know if you're ready for it. Yeah. So you just mentioned something interesting that you now that you're on the the couple shows now that you're looking forward to Netflix specials and you know that next level. Um, what I was gonna ask is, uh, as a comedian who's never like. I've never hit my destination yet on my goals. I have all these aspirations and I'm still on the journey to hit, hit that destination. But, um, what is it, what is it like when you hit that first destination of like your goal as a comedian? And then are, are you immediately focused on your neck, the next thing? Like as soon as you get on TV, do you, is it, are, are there moments where you can savor it? and enjoy the moment or are you immediately thinking okay what's next what do i do now to step uh, step up well i mean with roast battle specifically which was like you know my first break uh you know it wasn't a fun process because it's a competition show like it's it's not like you just do your set and you know you you kind of walk away and have fans come up to you and you know uh, admire you like you know when i the road to roast battle match I had with Jesse Joyce. It was, it was not fun because you know it was a very stressful and intimidating experience. Because you know Jesse Joyce is an amazing comic, and he's you know Comedy Central's number one roast writer. You know, like he's the guy who gets the call. Hey, we're roasting uh, LeBron James. Start writing. He gets that first call. So and and people were coming up to me weeks before the matchup going, dude. He's like the guy. You're not going to beat him. Like people who are, love me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't very fun to like. Uh, you know, it's like wow. Here I am trying to get on a Comedy Central show. I'm, I'm having to roast the you know a Comedy Central employee. You know the uh, the odds are kind of stacked against me. Uh, so I knew I had to be so wild and so over the top and so viciously mean, which is not really my normal uh, character. Uh, and it worked out and then you know Montreal was like you know which was I think a week a year ago uh, this week Uh, it was uh, exciting but not fun per se because you had to do uh, I mean if you look at the four people I battled in five days uh, you know you had uh, Tom Ballard who uh, a lot of people think beat Jimmy Carr in the the untelevised season I think people kind of, he slipped in under the radar. He's amazing. He would kill anyone in L.A. Like pound he's that pound for pound, one of the best. Oh, this. he's yeah. like, you know, he had a semi-bad battle against me, and he still almost won. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, obviously Jimmy Carr, uh, Sertiana, and, and uh, K. Trevor Wilson. I mean, uh, so it was not a fun experience. So I didn't, in terms of like, you didn't have time to like do your battle with Jimmy Carr and then go out and, you know uh you know party till eight in the morning it was like you had to go and then start writing for uh you know when you got to the finals of roast battle they it was a little different for uh the last season but in my season it was uh you had two days to write for three people so you had to write for you know for in my case i had to write for mike lawrence k trevor wilson and sarah tiana um because you you know you you know, I knew I was going to face Sarah, and then you're like, "Well, if I if I if I beat her, or even if you lose to her, you're still going to have to battle for third place." But you don't know who's going to win between Mike and Kay Trevor, so you had to write for both of them. So it was not, uh, um, I think, the fun people 
think it would be. I mean, really the only night that was remotely fun and savoring the moment was uh, after my Jimmy Carr battle. There was some big uh, outdoor party, and word had spread already, and like everyone was coming up to me, going, "You're the guy who beat Jimmy Carr," and like uh, so. But that, I mean, that was like the only like couple minutes of like, "Wow, this this is cool." Um, and then after you know the battle with Kay Trevor and, and and Mike and Sarah's battle, then you had like. Maybe a, a few hours to like. Okay, let's go out and yeah. I don't have to worry about one roast joke and uh, so you didn't really have a lot of time to to like go. Wow, I've arrived because it's such a competitive show yeah. that it's uh, and plus it's you know that was on TV and like I didn't want to bomb or get embarrassed on television and super high pressure. You know, like yeah, I mean it's I mean roast battle on TV, you you can't get any more high pressure than that cuz it's such an in the moment show and like the one joke I had against Jimmy Carr that didn't work, dead silence in the room. And it's like fuck, millions I don't know about millions, but it, you know, however many people saw it, a million people just saw me eat it on TV. Uh so it it's uh I think it would have been different if my first time on TV would have been like a a Kimmel set or a tonight show set yeah. uh but you know it, it's uh, you know i could save her i'm dying up here a little bit more just because it was like you know you go to the set you film your scenes you go home you're like wow i'm on a showtime show it's pretty cool and then you know with the jellies which has not come out yet um you know you, we did the whole season in one day um but it's like you could like go okay this is gonna be a cool show that's you know tyler the creator is very popular and you know i think he has like the number one album on itunes or, or yeah. some you know uh you know it's pretty high up there or the single uh and and he's always in the news so you could kind of go this has got a pretty high probability of being a hit um and it'll be on like that billboard on uh the adult swim is a billboard i think it's on sunset and crescent heights so i won't be on it but my character Berry Jelly. I play, uh. I play Papa Jelly. Uh, you know, so that'll be like, I think I'll be able to savor that a little more than I did Roast Battle because, you know, Roast Battle is like, uh, you know, it, it's such a, uh, you know, it's a competition. So it's like, you know, and even if they, even if I'm brought back for, you know, a future season, it, it'll be fun. But it's, it, you know, because I'm one of the more popular, uh, you know, I don't want to say character, but, but one of the more popular roasters on the show just because of how I do it. I'm not the best roaster, but, you know, I do the pro wrestling stuff. And, you know, I think, you know, like when I could savor that was when Dr. Ken came up to me. It's like, can I take a picture with you? I'm like, and I've said this before on the podcast, but it was like, that's when it was cool to me. Like yeah. when you have someone you're a fan of asking if they can take a picture with you. I'm like what? Uh, so uh you know i savored it but maybe later yeah okay what was it like to even just watch yourself on tv i've always wondered what that experience is like they actually show it in the pretty much one of the opening scenes of i'm dying up here you see a comedian watch himself watch his first time on the tonight show and right. I, and to me that's one of the most i don't know it's such a surreal bizarre kind of thing i'm not sure even other generations can understand it because of the advent of tv it's just what is it 
What is it like to watch yourself on TV? I mean, to this day, I've never watched one of my roast battles on TV. Um, really? <laughs> just because uh, after I read some of the uh, Reddit things on my battle with Jimmy Carr, I'm like, fuck that. I'm not, uh, you know. I, you never even saw how it was edited or put no. together? That's fascinating. Because okay. I lived it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think I, I might have watched my battle with Jesse Joyce. Uh, but I, I to this day not watched one second of any of my battles for Montreal, just because uh, you know I don't know, I don't know. I was there, <laughs> I, I did it. Uh, you know, um, I, I've watched every episode of I'm Dying up here just because uh, you know I, you know I was kind of in my own bubble on that show. I wanted to see what else was you know going on and, and how it was put together. Yeah, and I'm such a fan of like so many people who are on the show like yeah you know i'm dying up here was has been really cool because like i used to do shitty shows with santino like 0708 like we did this show once at a greek restaurant in the marina where you know everyone's bombing and you know anyone who knows me knows i get a little like add at times at shows so i'll either whip out my dick or like do something stupid so uh you know, I think I was sitting in front of Santino and I had my laptop, so I put up uh, on my computer screen ghettogaggers.net, <laughs> which is like this really raunchy website that just shows um, black girls for the most part getting facials. And uh, so I, I pull that up, I put my laptop where everyone behind me can see it. <laughs> And the whole crowd's just laughing, and the poor schmuck on stage thinks he's killing. <laughs> oh my god! And so like every time I see Santino, we we are like, "Hey, remember that Greek restaurant gig?" Uh, so I mean, and I've known Eric Griffin. Like we used to do horrible shows on the Queen Mary in like two thousand three, two thousand four, uh, where we'd literally do comedy to like six people in the the lido lounge uh, <laughs> and then go to jerry's deli in the marina afterwards and just talk about how shitty we were doing uh so it's neat to see like you know i don't know al as much like like that but like it's neat to see two people you i didn't necessarily start with them but like you know we did a lot of shitty shows together just, just all three be on a showtime show and certainly their roles are like mammoth compared to mine but uh it's just neat to like you know, uh, see people make it who deserve it and, you know, uh, that you kind of have a, an affiliation with. Yeah. Um, so, so Eric and, uh, and Santino were the two you pretty much knew from that, that whole cast. Yeah. I've known so, Al, uh, a little bit uh, okay. less than I do. And, uh, I mean, I've known Rick Overton for, you know, years, uh, and uh you know i've obviously known geron for a long time yeah. and uh, dom herrera i've known for a while uh you know so uh, and then uh, you know i instantly liked jake lacy when i met him he plays nick on the show uh, okay. like he's just a good dude like he's like like he's just a very very nice person and 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 all the other actors are like everyone's nice they're literally out of the hundreds of crew and actors and extras and production assistants and like the hair and makeup crew was amazing like there wasn't one dick on the show uh 
so it was just like that's what made it so fun and why we're all hoping for you know future seasons because it was like it, it really was a family like it was just it's hard to explain like just never one day felt like work that's cool that there was like actually like camaraderie on set yeah i mean it was unlike and the, and there was that in roast battle too and still is i mean roast battle started off as a family show from the standpoint of like you know uh start off with you know um you know me and uh moses you know and and other people i i i would say on roast battle anyway i was uh I didn't, certainly didn't help create the show. That, that's Brian Moses' uh, you know uh, claim, uh, rightful claim, uh, and you know he had help with you know other people involved, and then you know, but you know when me and Moses would you know do our thing together those first few months till Jeff Ross came on board, it was like you know real family uh, show, and then Jeff took it to the next level, and uh, you know the battlers all. For the most part, I, mean, I think everyone likes each other on Roast Battle. I mean, there's a few, uh, you know, uh, feuds or whatever that extend to out of the room, but uh, it's, it's not very uh, many of those. So uh, it, it really was a family show. Like, you know, everyone, the wave helped me. I helped the wave. The, mm -hmm. the judges helped, you know, bad battles. And, and then, you know, as the battle battles now of, evolved and become just you know much better uh you know just like tonight you know you've got uh omid and leah k janian you've got pat barker and jamar i mean back in the early days it was people would come more for me and moses to see yeah. what we would say and there'd be like one good battle out of four uh but now it's like the undercards are all great there's very few bad battles yeah, you're everyone, bound to have one everyone's expected to do well pretty much on the show it's uh it, it's gotten to that level yeah i mean it's like there's no like i think uh one of the last times i was hating i, I some hispanic comic uh i, I don't really i really don't remember who it was but he was bombing horribly and you could tell he didn't prepare he didn't really write he just was like leaning against the chair and it's like, dude, what are you doing? This show is just on Comedy Central. Like every week now, there's either someone from Comedy Central here, or there's you know a producer from Showtime, or you know someone like Tyler, the creator, is in the room. Uh, you know, like there's you could get work. Uh, you know, if you do well. Uh, I mean, that's how I got the jellies. Was Tyler, the creator, was sitting next to the wave, and oh. I thought he was like Jamar's friend. Or <laughs> no, I really did. Like I didn't, because I, I don't listen to a yeah. rap you know i'm a metal guy as everyone knows and uh so i, I was just like saying some pretty over the line things to tyler not knowing who he was yeah. and that's what got me the gig so it's that's like awesome you know and i know this isn't a roast battle podcast but like you know because it's so uh responsible for you know the things i have i you know you have to talk about it but like you people who are roasting coming up like the show's no joke. I mean, there's a season three coming up from what I understand. And like, you know, you could be on that. I mean, you know, whether you're a guy or a girl, you know, don't fuck around up there. Like, you know, Jeff Ross can, you know, uh, help you out, <laughs> you know, and, and Moses can recommend you for a gig. And like, uh, you know, uh, there's just, you know, Pat Barker, like, you know, he's always going to be working in Hollywood, you know, maybe he, 
he gets wind of a writing gig he could hook you up with. So don't waste your time up there. Yeah, he uh, even, you know, he after the HBO show, he got to write for the roast of Big Poppy. Uh, that was cool. Yeah, I mean, like, it's like you can, uh, I guess that's if I could get one thing out to people who are listening to this. And I guess it's more roast battle specific, but like, you know, even if you get the comedy before roast battle, like, you know, you never know who's in the room now. Someone in that, there's always going to be industry in that room from now on because Roast Battle is still a hot show. So, you know, don't waste your opportunity up there. I mean, it's literally gotten me on two TV shows. Uh, so it could definitely get you writing gigs or, or you know, whatever, uh, you know, you can get out of it. But if you're up there kind of half-assing it, bombing, you know, and, and you know, ill-prepared, you know, you could do yourself more harm than good. You know, yeah, that's uh, that's really, yeah, it's it blows my mind how much this show has done for so many people. But oh, it's helped uh, easily over a hundred comics, you know, myself included. Um, one thing I was just gonna ask you, and this just this got to me, you know, when I was watching the show, um, your character that you play on "I'm Dying Up Here" is really. You know, like very low energy. Did that was that like an acting challenge to? No. Did you feel like that was like similar to to, to how you do stand up or like? Well, I think they wrote it uh, basically in my. I mean, the character was already written, but I think what got me uh, coming back uh, for uh, the other episodes uh, was they just liked the way I deliver. Uh, the material and it's like it's unlike i think most deliveries in stand-up where it's incredibly slow dry sarcastic laborious almost and i seem like i'm almost struggling to complete sentences and uh you know like in one scene that's uh coming up the director after we were done shooting was like your delivery is amazing <laughs> So, uh, you know, I'm basically playing myself, you know, swapping out 80s metal jokes with Liberace jokes. So, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, people like it. So the other thing that you touched on earlier that I wanted to get back to was you said that the comedians were helping the actors and the actors were helping the comedians. Um, who on the show are the actors versus the comedians? Cause I know like Eric Griffin and Santino are comedians, but are, was pretty, uh, I, I assume most of the cast were comedians. What's well, a good mix. I mean, Al Madrigal's obviously his, uh, he's got a Showtime special out right now, along with Santino and Griffin. Uh, you know, Jerron's obviously a comic, you know, Dom Herrera's, a, you know, he's another legend. And, and I mean, he's, He's done it for a long time and, and at a high level for a long time. Rick Overton is like beyond words in the comedy community. Uh, I would say that the actors on the show were um, I mean, like Jake Lacey, uh, you know, Ari, um, Michael and Clark. Uh, I, I don't believe had uh, a stand-up background, but they're very, very funny. I mean, they're such good actors, all four of those guys and girl. Uh, that uh, they come off as comics. 
So what do you tell them as a comedian? Like, what do you what what how are the comedians helping the actors act like stand-ups and then vice versa? What are the uh, actors helping the stand-ups with in terms of acting? Like, how do, how is that relationship working? What, what was some of the specific advice that uh, was relayed back and forth? Well, like there was one scene and I don't know if it was cut out or not. And, you know, I won't say who the actor was. Uh you know, uh, but uh, they were supposed to go follow me after I had bombed. Uh, and uh, they were like, well, how would, a, how would a comic follow someone who, you know, was like tanking? I'm like, well, you know, you, you got to kind of address it and, you know, give the, that comic shit to get the crowd on your side. And, you know, you might say something like this. Uh, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, of course, they had, you know, their lines they had to do, but like I think they were just wanting to know for their their mental uh, mind frame of the scene, like how do you handle going on after someone who bombed? Because yeah. they've never done it. I've done it before, and plenty of people have done it after I've gone on. Uh, so you know, you just give them a little advice like that, and uh, you know, then I think some of the comics, you know, I'm I'm certainly not an actor per se. Uh, you know, I might have asked, you know, whoever, like, hey, you know, if you're playing like you're angry, do you really like, is it like a Hulk anger or, you know, is it, you know, you know, it depends. And like, you know, there was one scene where I had to do some physical uh, acts where I had to act frustrated, and uh, you know, the the one actor was like, uh, you're acting a little too angry. You act more frustrated versus like physical anger. So you know, it's like. Stuff like that, advice like that. So, uh, you know, but it just goes in line with, you know, everyone helping it. Like everyone on the show wanted the best possible product to be shown. Like, uh, so it was like a very uh, family affair. That's cool. I, you know, another thing I wanted to get to though, uh, and it's just, it's kind of apparent in the show. It's like the 70s and the 80s, really kind of a drug fueled time and i've always been interested in this part you're uh you're like completely sober right yeah yeah never had a drink or drug in my life um well first of all just what is that like we'll, we'll get into the why later but what what is that like in the comedy community to try to maintain a sobriety or even just like to tell people like that yeah, I'm not drinking or I'm not doing anything right now. Like, what is that? What is that like? It's not that hard for me. Uh, you know, when you go 48 years without doing it, it's it's not like you know, at the, you know, 48 years and six months, you're gonna be like, I need some fucking drugs. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a creature of habit, so I'm I'm totally in the habit of not doing drugs or drinking. So it's I'm not tempted at all. I'm certainly around it a lot. You know, it's probably not a day or a night goes by specific that I'm not around at least pot and cocaine and and I'm not tempted in the least. But I don't look down upon the people who do it. It's like, hey, that's your thing. You want to do it? Go ahead. It's just, you know, uh, I, I am interested in that. Like, it's around you all the time. It's, um, you know, it's going to be offered to you. And it's just, it's a lot of, people it's like part of the culture and a lot of people like you know it's it, we have you know tough times or rough sets or just you know stressful experiences and then people will outlet through 
drugs and alcohol. What is it like for you just as a comedian just to go through all of this completely sober? I mean, it's all I know, so it's it's normal to me. Like, uh, you know, I certainly have bad sets or, you know, sets uh, I wish could have gone better. And, uh, you know, I just go home and maybe write a few jokes and, like, uh, you know, you have to use uh, your bad experiences in comedy as fuel for the next night. I mean, that's the great thing about going up as much as I do. If I have a bad set, I'm on stage the next night. So I have chance for a redemption. It's not like I'm doing two sets a week and like, you know, uh, if I have a bad set, I have to wait five days till my next one. I'm, I mean, pretty much I'm up seven nights a week. Uh, not all at the comedy store, but mainly there. So you, uh, you know, you almost don't have a, I don't give myself enough time to think about it too much. Okay. Um, there's a, there's a really interesting character and I'm dying up here and he's like a, um, a puppeteer and the puppeteer has a puppet who's kind of, uh, we'll, we'll say racist things. It's kind of like, and, and in the show they even mentioned Archie Bunker a couple times, you know, and saying like, you know, it's, Though the he's not racist, racist, the puppet is racist, you know, and so that's right. the genius of it. And so, um, what I was gonna ask you is, you, uh, especially a roast battle, uh, but maybe even in general, you've said some very, you know, racially tinged things, and like you said with Don Rickles, he found a way to show that there was love there, and that he still maintained his likability while saying all these really terrible things. I've noticed with you, you have this alpha male persona. You're saying all these crazy things. And, you know, pe you know, on the face of it, people would assume, oh, the everyone would just hate this guy. But you're incredibly likable on that stage and, you know, just in general. And as someone who personally has had roast battles where I've struggled with likability. I would love to know, like, what's, how do you maintain that likability even whilst, you know, venturing into these very touchy subjects? Well, you have to do it in such a cartoonish way that you'd have to be a complete fucking moron to think you were being serious or to think that I was being serious. It's like, I've said this a lot about roast battle. It's like, do you really think Brian Moses, who's black, would have a racist sidekick, like an actual racist, <laughs> and Jeff Ross, who's Jewish. Like, do you think a, a Jewish guy and a black guy would have a, a, a you know, a neo-Nazi, you know, Jew-hating uh, sidekick? You know, so I don't think anyone, you know, in the three years that I did that character, uh, I, I think I had one person think I was being serious. Um, so, and, you know, even in my, ro my roasting character, it's like I'm, go into full-on, you know, Rick Rude, uh, heel mode, uh, you know, where my roasting style is to basically make the other person feel irrelevant. Like, I roast the crowd, I roast the judges, I, I roast the show, I'll roast the network. And, you know, uh, so, I mean, that's a little over the top. But I think, you know, you can get away with saying anything as long as you're likable. Like, you know, you could say if you, you could be the whitest comic on earth, and you could say the N-word in a punchline. And if it's funny, you know, for the most part, people will laugh. I mean, that's that's maybe not the best example because it's such a horrible word. But, like, uh, you know, like you look at when Bill Maher said it recently on his show, 
you know, it wasn't the funniest line. So he got a lot of shit for it. Um, whereas if it would have gone over a little better, um, you know, I don't think he would have gotten as much grief on it. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, you could do 9-11 jokes, which is the worst day in American history. But if it's a funny joke, people will laugh. Um, you know, you could do jokes about the Holocaust, which is a horrible event. Uh, and But Mel Brooks is doing it 20 years after. Yeah. Know? I mean, you could do jokes about race, religion, uh, you know, politics. And, like, if bottom line is, if it's funny, uh, you know, you're going to more than likely get away with whatever flack you're going to get if it's not funny. Like, you can do a rape joke. Rape is, like, the worst, uh, you know, offense on earth. Uh, and, you know, I, I, in my battle with Olivia at Riot a couple of years ago, you know, she was, you know, uh, sexually assaulted. And, uh, you know, I had a three-leveled rape joke that I did. And on the surface, uh, you know, it's like, well, how could you do that? But three was, layers too <laughs> well i had a deal if the first part got a laugh i was going to do the second part if the second part got a laugh i'd do the third yeah. part and all three got laughs and in increments uh that made me want to do the the next level joke but like you know at the end of the day if the first part would have bombed it was like wow that's how could you do a rape joke especially yeah. about the girl you're dating uh at the time yeah. but uh you know because I was likable and doing it. I'm, you know, she's smiling, I'm smiling, I'm saying it in the in the delivery cadence of Ric Flair. You know, we were at the, I forget the, I think it was the downtown independent theater, you know, in uh, in L.A. And you know, it's completely it's standing room only. You you couldn't move. I mean, it was like unbelievable to like be on that stage and just see a sea of people and. Uh, you, you know, and, and you look at it and, and, you know, certain roast battles uh, that you see still today. Like, you can do racy material up there, or racy uh, roast jokes, and if it's funny, people will laugh. But if it's not, and it's just mean, uh, which I think gets back to your question, like, anything I said wasn't just mean. You know, it was some level of funny and buffoonery put in a blender, and so people like dug it, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, uh, I look at, you know, I, and it's kind of a line I would always do when there's three black guys on stage, it would be Moses, Alfred, big Alfred. Uh, I, I, Kanua, I, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I didn't want to, but what's his last name? Kanua. He's an awesome dude, writes for the WWE and, and say something like David Lucas, who's yeah. an absolute roasting beast. You know, if all three of them are on the stage, I would, you know, usually raise my hand and go, Moses, uh, I'll take Alfred for 500, <laughs> yeah. you know, like simulating it's a slave auction. Yeah. Now, that's a horrible joke if I meant it. Like, you know, if I was, but, you know, I think even Alfred would laugh at it. Yeah. Um, David might kick the shit out of me, but like, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think as long as you can do it without any cruel intentions, uh, you know, any joke can be done, e even even in stand-up. Like, you know, I do jokes about, you know, Jared from Subway, and you, you think, wow, what a fucking creepy subject that is. The guy was fucking kids or whatever he was doing with them. But the jokes I do are so stupid and ultimately pretty funny that people get on board with it 
you yeah. know so and then you know I have a couple jokes about michael jackson that you know hit you know innuendos around his uh you know uh, interactions with children uh, so when you think like there's nothing i mean maybe the only thing worse than rape is child molestation yeah yeah and you think how could you make that funny but you can you know i make jokes about my parents dying two months apart you know there's going to be someone in the room that lost their parent or parents it's not going to be that funny to them but if it's like if it's a funny joke the, even they are going to laugh yeah so uh you know, I guess you just have to be likable. And that's what got me, you know, surviving for three years doing the house racist and until Comedy Central and Moses and Jeff and whoever else makes the decisions figured out, oh, he can roast too. Yeah, I think you put it pretty well. Like the intention can't be mean. You have to have the skill level to make it funny. And you have to have the performance to pull it off and not look like you're nervous or flinch when you're doing it or just have the performance to be able to pull it off and make it, you know, make it actually uh, successful. So that, I think that's a good point. But, I, you know, I've, I, you know, I, Alfred Canoe was one of the people I was going to bring up. I remember him once doing a battle where, you know, he, he, I, he was going up against another black guy and he went all racist jokes, and, you know, which was kind of funny. And it just, it didn't, it didn't work, and I trust me, I've been there. I remember when I went against Joe Urell, who was in a wheelchair. Um, after one of my jokes, um, the joke was, um, Joe's a man. He wears the pants in the relationship once you help him put them on. And after I said that, uh, Earl said, fuck you to me, <laughs> you know? And it could, it, could definitely, it could definitely happen where it just... You know, you try to be funny and it even tests well, but in that room, you know, when all the variables come together, for some reason, it just does not work, which is part of why you're so impressive at doing this, because there's so many variables. The context can always be altered based on the audience, yet you still find a way to maintain that likability throughout when you're doing that character up there. Much like an Archie Bunker on the sh uh, you know, which is why it's so impressive. Well, I mean, I think I, I, I never met Carol O'Connor, but like I'm sure he wasn't actually racist offset, you know. So I'm sure I, you know, you could tell like when he did scenes with Sherman Hemsley, who played George Jefferson, that they loved each other. Like, so I'm sure Sherman would not have, uh, you know, been friendly with someone who was actually racist. It's like me and Moses are great yeah. friends, you know. You can bet that if I was actually racist, uh, you know, I wouldn't be allowed to be up at the comedy store as much as I am. Uh, so it's just, you know, I, I think uh, most 99% of the people who saw me doing that character knew it was not uh, racist at all. I mean, I was actually raised for a large part of my life by an African-American. Leroy. Yeah, Leroy. So, um you know that i'm the furthest thing from racist or you know whatnot you know it's a character it's you know it's the roast battles a, in particular is a show that's based on politically incorrect humor um you know it's not but you know you've seen jokes up there um you know in specific battles uh you know that are you know like fat jokes are uh usually a, a big topic if, if the 
one of the roasters is heavy and uh you know whether it's a guy or a girl and uh some work because you know like someone like pat barker or omid singh you know doug fager's another one where they they hit you with uh you know it's a fat joke but it's so cleverly written and so uh silly leah k janian's another one mm -hmm. that will weave in and out of a cute joke kind of cute kind of mean and then the punchline's like a nuclear bomb mm -hmm. um you know i know when like olivia first started battling uh you know her weight was a you know like a and she was never fat but you know in the, in the vein of roast battle it was a topic people would hit her on and some of the jokes were funny and like one battle in particular uh, her opponent just hit her with mean fat jokes they weren't very funny they were just mean basically you're fat and uh she did not do very well because it was just uh you know going back to you have to be likable um you know like whenever i roast someone uh you know i try and be so buffoonish that i people love me uh you know so uh but it, that goes into like your stand-up too like you know especially late night and and the or you know that by the time i'm going you know like tonight i'm going on at 12 15 you know at that point they've seen joe rogan they've seen jazzle they've seen tom segura they've seen uh, you know, Duncan Trussell or Ari Shapir, whoever's on the lineup tonight, you know, they've been asked everything from where are you from? Are you guys dating? Did you guys meet on Tinder? So you have to kind of hit them with like a semi-aggressive humor to keep their attention. So, uh, you know, but I do it like I roast, you know, it's like obviously, uh, you know, they, I don't think too many people get offended by anything I say because they know it's like, Okay, this guy's just like doing shtick. And it's funny most of the time. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, for you comics out there looking to be edgy, you better make sure it's funny and you better be likable. Otherwise, yeah. you probably don't have the experience that will yet to get yourself out of the hole you're digging. Well, speaking of uh, digging holes and being likable and you better be funny, um, you mentioned something that, you know, reminds me of something in I'm Dying Up Here, which is. Um, uh comedians dating comedians i i i'd something i've experienced i uh i dated a comedian for about a year and i'm probably gonna get back to i'm looks like i'm getting back together with her very soon um you uh you dated a comedian before and um what uh you know one of my favorite parts about the show is they there was even a moment when the the comedy couple there i think it's andrew santino and ari um they're both kind of they're they're kind of playfully you know fighting and at one point uh andrew santino says oh i wish i had the uh the girlfriend instead of the comedian then just now because she was like ribbing him and i've been there before i remember one time in my relationship me and my girlfriend were kind of roasting each other back and forth and at one point she's like hey i'm not one of the freaking guys here you still have to treat me like one like a, like a girlfriend and so have you ever uh, what are what are some of the dynamics that you found are really interesting in dating another comedian when both of you were comedians well i mean my last three serious girlfriends have been comedians um so uh you know i think you know um 
you know, it's in some sense, uh, you know, I think comedians are the only ones who can date each other because uh, you get the lifestyle, you get the late hours, the bad sets, the mental frame of mind you have after good sets, bad sets. Uh, and then sometimes I think that, uh, you know, you shouldn't date them just because, uh, you know, you're too, uh, I, I once had a famous comic tell me, and this person is you know, about as high up on the food chain as you can get. He's like, I never dated comedians because my rule is there's only going to be one star in this house. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I kind of get what he was saying. Uh, you know, inevitably, at, at some point, if, if you're two comics dating, one of you will start to rise um, mm -hmm. ahead of the other. And, you know, there could be conflict with that. Luckily for me, that was never an issue. Uh, um, you know, uh, I, I lucked out in that regard. Uh, you know, I think... Uh, you know, I mean, you date. I date who I like. You know, and if it if it's another comic, it's another comic. Uh, if it's not, great. But uh, so I don't have any rules myself on. I shouldn't. I think if you limit yourself, why well, can't date other comics? You might miss out on your wife. You know, yeah. uh, or or your next great relationship. Uh, you know, I think the only problem that I've run into uh, is. Uh, I think you know male comics are fucking pigs. Uh, most yeah. of them, very yes. Uh, you know, it's like I've run into a lot. Uh, well, if she's fucking her, else she'll fuck me. And I, I guess what? Uh, probably not. <laughs> Sorry, um, because much like your comedy and your roasting and your life, uh, your dick's not gonna follow mine. <laughs> Yeah, inferior. Um, so, but uh, you know, it, it's that's one of the downfalls. Is I think uh, comics are very competitive, and they see I think dating women as competition of sort. Like, you know, well, if you know Susie fucked Jimmy, maybe Susie will fuck me because I'm funnier than Jimmy. You know, and it's just like. Uh, but you know, you know that going in, you know, and uh, uh, so I mean, I don't take back any of my relationships or wish uh, uh, I didn't date any one uh, from you know uh, the recent past. Uh, you know, there's uh, certainly in some of the cases uh, mm -hmm. things I wish. Uh, you know, I don't think you should battle your girlfriend. Uh, I don't think it works. <laughs> Inevitably, something, uh, uh, you know, will be taken to heart. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's probably one thing I would, uh, which hasn't happened a lot. Um, you know, I don't think a lot of couples have ever battled. Uh, you've had maybe one or two exes who battled, but... Uh, in my case, uh, both times it was, you know, my current uh, girlfriend. And, uh, you know, there wasn't, like, immediate ramifications. But looking back, uh, you know, I, w I would say it was, uh, especially in the second case, uh, it might have uh, gotten the ball rolling. On yeah, it was corrosive to the relationship. It, was, it started. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't blame it completely. But, uh, you know, I think looking back, like, 
you know, I know like when uh, me and Olivia battled, it was, uh, you know, I think she had a really funny joke about my forehead. I think she said something to, I might be getting the joke wrong because it's been almost two years, but it was something to the effect of, uh, Earl's a really funny comic, but he never kills except when he cracks a walnut with his forehead. <laughs> uh-huh. And, uh, I think like the next day I stood in the mirror and looked at my head for an hour going, am I balding? Oh my God, my God, my hairline. No, I think I, I don't think I'm balding. Uh, and you know, I can only imagine what she was, you know, I, I don't think I said anything too wacky, but uh you know who knows you yeah. know and and so i i definitely uh in a weird way it, it like our battle was probably my favorite battle ever uh of mine uh just because it you know we we stole the show i mean we we like you know our battle was the one everyone was talking about the next day but uh so in that sense i'm glad i we did it but in another sense i wish i didn't so yeah, that's uh, God. That's, to me, that's it's 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 one of those interesting you know moments in roast battle history is when you two uh, battled. Honestly, it's a it, you know it's it, if you just think about it, when a couple is roasting each other, it's like the opposite of a wedding vow situation. Like you're just trying to think of really kind of vicious, yeah. you know. And it's funny, but it's still like well, you know each other. Better than most, you know, the secrets, you know, you know, really like, uh, you know, you take someone like me and um, Doug Fager, like we're very good friends, you know, we're like as close as best friends as you can get. I mean, I love that dude and he knows pretty much all my secrets. I know his, but like, you know, like, you know, like me and Olivia, like we know the dark secrets. Like, yeah. we, I mean, we ch- intimately about each Yeah. Other. I mean, you know, we could really chose uh if we wanted to of that night uh to really hit you know 10 levels below the belt um but uh so in that sense i think it you know i think it was like the first battle where an actual couple was uh roasting uh each other and uh you know i i know i think there was one battle i think it was jen murphy and brant tobler who had hooked up and then they battled, and it was really fun because it, it was clearly not uh, a rewarding experience for either one. Uh, so they were going at it, but uh, and it was a super fun battle. Like, uh, but uh, you know, I, I it's probably uh, something I wish I could take back. Yeah. So I've noticed we're probably. I know we have a two-hour limit on this podcast. Yeah, have, uh, let me check. You know, my, but, here, but yeah. So what I'm what I was getting at is, you know, I've got a billion questions for Earl, but I've really got a limit and pick wisely at this point 15 minutes yeah before it's possible it could go here's the thing and and people don't understand on my recorder when it hits the two hour mark sometimes it branches off and do another sound file and i don't know how to merge the two (laughs) so uh i've lost some gold so we got 15 minutes so get them out baby i'm 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 just gonna get to the the most important questions one of my favorite phrases i've ever heard is uh life laughs at your plans and basically what that means is like we can we can plan for the future and we can you know expect all these things to happen and yet you know life is uncontrollable and random and our plans change what was one of the times in your comedy career where you expected something you had planned for something you had envisioned this future and then life laughed at your plans and then changed everything um let me see here uh 
Well, probably uh, that Barry Katz pilot. I mean, I thought I would kill on that. And, uh, you know, he'd go, hey, man, do uh, you want to uh, be on Last Comic Stand? And you don't have to audition for it. You just, you know, and, you know, I bombed so bad that, you know, literally I don't think he would work with me ever again. Uh, there's uh, certainly been, uh, you know, shows I've... Uh, you know, auditioned for that, you know, I didn't get that, you know, could have changed my comedy life, uh, you know, and then, you know, in a good way, you know, like my showcase to get past at the comedy store went a hundred times better than I ever thought, you know, because I just thought oh, I'll go up, you know, I'll do my jokes, the crowd will be kind of into it, not really, and uh, it just so happened that night I showcased so many people were rooting for me to get past because they knew the journey that I'd gone on and the, just the you know decade plus of struggle that like even like Chris D'Elia came in and watched the whole set and like you could hear every comic in the room laughing and like uh like they were you could literally feel them rooting for me like so that I did better than I you know I thought oh, I'll have to showcase a few times you know uh you know, no one gets passed on their first time. It's just, you know, it's, and, you know, the comedy store is like, to me, the number one club in the country, you know, at the worst. I mean, it, it, it just is. It's the store is the store. Everyone wants to be passed there. Um, so I thought, oh, this will be a process. And, you know, I'll just have to do it a few times. And that's cool. I've waited this long. I can wait a few more months or another year. And uh, it went so well that I did get passed on my first time. Uh, so that's and it's changed my life i mean you know and it's not you know anything you get in comedy is it's what you make of it you know you could get to the finale of you know roast battle and nothing could happen for you so if you just sit there and go, okay i've arrived and you don't do anything uh you know you get to the finale of roast battle and you line up your next thing and then you know you get on that and you line up something that you got to always be lining stuff up because like i said your show could be canceled tomorrow yeah you know i'm you know uh, you know uh, on two shows now you know i mean i would say i'd be in consideration for roast battle if they did like an all-star season or whatever so technically three shows but you know uh, you never know i mean this business is so uh you, you know day by day that you know, you could be a huge star one day and next day, uh, you know, your show or movie gets production gets halted. So, uh, you know, you look at like nothing to do with stand up, but like, you know, Charlie Hoonan, you know, star of Sons of Anarchy. He's great. Uh, you know, that movie he just did, King Arthur, was a complete bomb. Like his face was everywhere. I mean, he was the <laughs> face of that show yeah. or movie. And you know he's he's great, so he'll he'll live. But like, it just goes to show you, like, you know, that show had tremendous buzz, and like, it was like, wow, that's the lead, that's a guy from Sons of Anarchy. I mean, it was set for success, and it just didn't, you know, for whatever, didn't resonate with you know people who go see movies. So it's like you got to be humble, and you know, I, I know I've said that a lot in this podcast, but like, you know, you you never know. Uh, the turns that can uh, come. Yeah, it shows how fickle this business is. And uh, it makes me uh, want to ask, you know, um, this isn't even my question. This is a question someone else asked. But at the 
Um, at the 1983 All-Star Game, this guy asked everyone at the All-Star Game, what would you do if you couldn't play basketball? And he got answers from like Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas was like, said he'd be a senator. I think it's a little ridiculous. But Dr. J and uh, Madge Johnson gave very poignant answers, which is they'd be, you know, working like the factory lines because they knew, you know, without this talent, you know, I wouldn't be what I am. You know, I'm very lucky to have this talent. So what what would you honestly be doing if you did not have this talent in comedy? And you can give two versions of it where you have the, you know, the money that you have from your family or you, or if you didn't have the money from your family, what you what you'd possibly be doing. But what do you I, think you'd be doing? Uh, I've never really thought about that. Uh uh you know if i could if i wasn't funny and and you know couldn't do stand-up i mean i love people and i love watching people so i'd maybe a bartender you know just because you can uh you know interact with people you you know to a degree tell jokes or whatever uh you know i'm a people person i'm much more in person than i am over the phone or texting or like uh you know i'm just so uh you know, I have a presence about me from that standpoint where I, I have to, uh, I definitely wouldn't be like a telemarketer. I'd be the worst telemarketer ever. Uh, I have to interact with people, look into their eyes, yeah. and, uh, you know, I grab them. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I love sports, so maybe something sports related. Uh, you know, I'm a big hockey guy, so maybe, um, you know, a hockey announcer or, you know, I love the UFC and MMA, so you know, I don't think uh, Joe Rogan's going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, you know, I love con you know, I love um, strategy. Like, you know, that's I think part of what drew me into roast battle was yeah. um, the strategy of that show. It's it's not so much making fun of people and and stuff like that, but. Uh, you know, I just love seeing the better battlers and how they, um, you know, calculate what the other person is going to say about them so they plan what they're going to say. And, uh, you know, it's almost like a live board game. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I love, I mean, I, I love stand-up just because you get that uh, rush of, it's like a sexual high, but if I couldn't do it, I'd, I'd, uh, try and uh do something where i could be in front of a crowd you know I, I certainly can't play any instruments but like you know i'm a big music fan so maybe uh i don't know something in that field uh you know talk show host uh which i guess this podcast kind of is uh, i don't know i mean it's a great question i've never really there's no plan b for me it's comedy or nothing yeah so i've never really even had that thought in my mind um what would i do if i couldn't do comedy uh, uh no i got i got the answer i wanted that was really fascinating so i think i probably have time for one more question sure. so um by the way thank you for letting me do this i really appreciate it this oh thing. dude this i love fun it. as hell well mm -hmm. it's great i mean you're a great interviewer and i think it's you know not that people are bored of me asking the questions but i think every you know 10 episodes or whatever it works out to be people like uh hearing the questions be asked of me instead of me asking them. 
Yeah, and honestly, I've gotten so much. I've I've listened to your podcast a lot, and I've heard a ton of new stuff today. So I'm, I really feel like I accomplished what I wanted. But uh, my last question, you know, I tried to avoid the subject the whole time, but you know, roast battle. You're in retirement right now, and you know, I feel like like Brett Favre or Michael Jordan. We we all we talk about you coming in and out of retirement a lot. But, I, you know, I actually there's one athlete I want you to think about his life story and then how maybe how it compares to you in roast battle. Um, I really think you're kind of like George Foreman. And the reason why is because George Foreman, not because of like the grills or anything like that. George Foreman retired at 28 and he was the heavyweight champion of the world. And then he returned at 38, 10 years later, and then became the champion yet again. And then at 45, he was the oldest champion in the world. And actually, when he was 38 and he returned 10 years later, he actually was wearing the boxers that he lost to Muhammad Ali in in the Rumble of the Jungle. But anyways, that whole story of like, you know, rising and falling and then coming back and then coming back to show the young kids at the oldest age that's ever really been done in the sport that you can do it. Do you see any parallels to any of those stories, Michael Jordan, Brett Favre, or George Foreman? Well, I must, uh, this is not really answering your question initially, but uh, even if you are not a boxing fan, I try and turn everyone on to this particular fight. Uh, it's the greatest uh, four and a half rounds of boxing you'll ever see. It's a heavyweight fight between George Foreman and Ron Lyle, who has since deceased. But Ron Lyle had spent seven years in prison. He came out and he was like the only guy to ever knock down George Foreman. And he did it like three times. Then George Foreman knocked him down and he eventually won the fight. But it's such a great fight to watch in Caesar's Palace in the mid-70s. People are smoking like by the ring <laughs> and it's like it's insane uh so uh you know in terms of uh an athlete that i mean the foreman comparison is uh uh probably the best one i mean uh by the way uh i 48 years old and uh, i just won the scoring title in the second highest division in socal street hockey uh Damn. the silver division it's gold silver bronze copper I couldn't uh, do that at any age. That's 48 <laughs> at 20 points in eight games dominating. But uh, in terms of roast battle, uh, you know, the juices are flowing. Uh, and I've certainly been offered a few battles recently. Um, I, I won't say who two of the three were. Uh, but uh, Nicole Buchanan was someone who uh, <laughs> recently uh, posted about me being irrelevant on the show. And uh, she might find out sooner than later just how relevant I am. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm in a weird position where... Uh, you know, I will only battle people I like. I'm just not going to battle anybody. Um, and this is a big thing for me because four months ago I was like, I'm not battling anybody, but I do miss the show, but, uh, it's gotta be someone, uh, I, I in, in terms of me battling and like, there's people on the show like Pat Barker and, and, uh, Omid saying they'll battle anybody. Like they don't, Jay light. He was a maniac that one month where he battled, like, I think like five times, mm -hmm. uh, 
I only want to battle people that if I beat them, it means something, you know, because I, I think, uh, the last couple, really almost my last 10 battles have, uh, you know, been, uh, it's a big deal. If I get beat like, wow, you just beat Earl, you know, and you know, like I'm done battling people where they only get the benefit, like, which is why I wanted the title shot a few months ago. I didn't really care about the belts. It was just like, you know, this is the best battle to happen. And, you know, I didn't get the, the opportunity. Uh, you know, if I battle, um, say, uh, like, uh, I don't know, Doug Fager would be a great battle because, you know, beating Doug is like, wow, Earl, you just beat Doug. Uh, you know, it, like, I have to get something out of it. I'm not just, you know, like, you know, Nicole's an interesting battle. It's been proposed to me, but it's like, you know, it's really a battle where she only benefits. Like, if I beat her, it's like, well, dude, she's never really faced a top opponent. What's, what's, what are you, uh, okay, you beat her. But if she beats me, it's like, well, my, wow, this girl just beat Earl. Get her on the next season of Roast Battle. Uh, so, like, it has to be a, a battle that's, uh, you know, you know, I ride out of fear when I roast. Like every battle I've taken, it's like I think I'm going to lose. So I write ungodly amounts of uh, mostly bad jokes, but it, it gets me to the five good ones I need to win. Um, so it, it's uh, you know, I I've always said never say never, but uh, it's going to have to be uh, a battle that intrigues me. And there's a few out there. You know, there's many battles I would entertain. Uh, you know, Doug, Omid, you know, Jay Light. Uh, but what you're saying is the stakes have to be high for both parties and yeah, not just for not one Not just the side. other person. Because yeah. like, I felt like my stature on the show to this day is still, he's one of the better battlers. He's taken on the best and, and he rarely loses. Um, you know, and I've said this before, you know, losing to Sarah Tiana is better than most people's wins. Mm -hmm. Um so I'm done, uh, you know, if I'm going to battle, it's going to mean something. Uh, you know, Mike Lawrence would mean something. You know, Frank Castillo would mean something. Uh, my dream battle would be, uh, since you have, you're the you're the patriarch of roast battle, you always beat men, but yeah, you, you have had a mixed record versus women. I'd love to see you go against Kim Congdon who's the current number one. Yeah, she's great. Kim's awesome. She she is unbelievably good, and her charm versus your charm. I'd love to see that matchup. I just I think that's that would be one of the best matchups that Rose Battle's ever seen. And she's great because like her, you know, we all have weak spots. And that's, she's lost three times, and she's done it like fifteen times. Yeah, she's amazing. I mean, and and she's uh, and she's very uh, she's a killer. She battles like a dude, like. Uh, you know, but it has the charm and likability of, of a woman. Yeah, it's so you have to be careful. Like, and her battle with Luis Gomez, uh, you know, he hit her hard, and they were really funny jokes. But it was like, you know, she owns up to the fact that yeah, I've, I've you know, uh, I've done this with this guy. Great. What do you got? Yeah. And, you know what else you got? Uh, you know, whereas you know, and I've always said that you know, a good roaster owns their weak spots you know and and like you know like if you're fat you own your fat joke you own your you're fat you know so when people hit you with you're fat it's like okay well i might be fat but you are 
you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you kind of disarm the joke. Like, you know, I know I shouldn't say this because giving away hints, but like, you know, I, I mean, who knows? I may never battle again. Like, you know, I may battle 10 times in the next year. Mm -hmm. uh, but like, I know the first area of target is going to be age. Earl so old that, and I almost want people to do that. Yeah, I almost try and sucker people into doing an age joke. Not AIDS, age, A-G-E, <laughs> um, because that sets me up. I'm more, as anyone knows, I'm a rebuttal guy, and uh, I think, you know, like, I've said this before, like, the first person, when I, when I was thinking about battling, you know, when I knew, I, you know, I just figured that, you know, Comedy Central was not going to be down for a house racist sidekick. Uh, <laughs> I was like, you know, I think I'm going to have to start battling if I want to be on this show. And uh, I'm just going to sit over here so I can clock watch. Yeah, no problem. Uh, but I think we got time. Um, and so the, really the first battler I started uh, going, I want to do it like they do it, is Olivia. Because uh, I don't think there's a battler, and I know she doesn't do it right now, but like uh, she really almost tried to sucker you and, okay, call me fat say a joke about my makeup because at the time she wore it like heavier yeah. you know whatever um and she would wear like these big um like uh, parkas or uh, baggy, uh, flannel baggy, shirts yeah baggy clothes yeah. and she would almost i think looking back now wear that shit on purpose so you'd make a joke about her appearance mm -hmm. so she would have like 15 rebuttals to your one makeup joke yeah um and so that's what you know i thought okay well People are probably going to make fun of me because I'm the oldest roaster if I do roast. To have 10 age jokes ready. And, uh, well, people now, I mean, I'm assuming my next opponent, if there is one, uh, you know, I know the first three jokes, what that subject is going to be. I'm not going to yeah. say what, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I just know how the show works. So I've already gotten uh, plenty of rebuttals for, for that. Um so I think that the best battlers know where you're going to be hit. Like, you know, like if someone's battling you, they might make uh, not fun, but they might speak of your, you know, stature, your, your the height, uh, your, not your height, but you're a slender guy. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, your uh, body type. Yeah. Um, especially if it's like someone like Alfred, like who's like six, five or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I know like for me, it's going to be, uh, you know, they might hit my career. Like it took me so long to, to make it whatever yeah. that means but you know but that sets me up to go well what season were you on a roast battle have you made it yeah. you know <laughs> so and i like i know um you know you just have to know where you're going to be hit and and like you know like you know uh it goes back to like you know fat jokes and you know if you're going through a breakup or a divorce or whatever like if you're going up against someone good they're going to joke about that and you know uh I, I think the you know the better battlers um they're hard to battle because you know you know pat barker is he knows there's gonna be uh, uh you know like a you know a joke about his you know certain personal situations uh mm -hmm. you know uh doug fager knows that you know uh there's a possibility you might make fun of his brother uh you know or his family situation um you know tony henchcliffe knows uh you know you might make fun of you know certain things in his life and trust me tony will have you know 40 rebuttals for that one joke 
So, uh, you know, I mean, I do miss it, but, uh, you know, and there's, a, you know, plenty of battles out there, but, uh, you know, and there's certain people I won't battle, you know, I, just, I, I, I gotta be friends with, if you're going to shit on me, if you're going to make fun of my parents dying, if you're going to make fun of my last relationship, yeah, I better like you. Plus with all the effort you put into it, it's like, why put all the time and effort into that? You know, if you're don't even like the person. Yeah, I mean, I learned, you know, with, you know, recent events, uh, or not recent, but like, uh, just, it's just, uh, I'm done with draining energy on talking about people I don't like, or who in my mind have wronged me, or situations that have wronged me. I'm not going to go into a battle against someone I don't like or don't respect, you know, because then it's like, I'm, because I obsess over bad. Like, when I have a battle lined up, it's all I think about. I write from the moment I get up to the moment I have to do stand up. You know, I'll do my set and I'll come home and write roast jokes. Like I'll write hundreds of jokes and have people write them for me as well. So, which is controversial in and of itself. But well, if uh, you write a hundred, well, I mean, jokes. I would say, like for Tom Ballard in Montreal, I had 107 jokes in two weeks that you uh, wrote yourself. Uh, well, no, I would say I had 107 total. I would say I probably wrote 70. Yeah. Okay. And you know, others and and for Jimmy Carr, I literally had comics from over all over the world yeah uh who i didn't even know they but hey you're writing jimmy here's here's some info on him from the uk and you know here's this one guy from i think south america was like hey i know you don't know me but uh i used to open up for jimmy over here and like you know he said this once and like wow um, and then of course the more i know the person the more i'll write on my own yeah. like you know if someone said hey we want you to roast um I don't know, someone like, uh, you know, Mark Norman, who's amazing. I don't really know Mark that well. Uh, we, I mean, we bonded a little bit in Montreal, but I might reach out for help on him because I don't know him. Yeah. Uh, but like if, he, you know, if I were to, you know, roast like you, I know you like really well. We, we're friends. So yeah. I, I wouldn't need help from the standpoint of like, okay, this is what I think about Eric, blah, blah, blah. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, but you know, who knows? I, I know, uh, there's been some Twitter, uh, love the last few days, uh, saying bring back Earl or whatever. I don't uh, know who these people are. They're just fans of the show. So, uh, you know, everyone wants you back. I mean, Cena has been doing an amazing job, but, oh, he's amazing, but it'd still be, it'd still be cool to have you back. You know, it's cool, but you know, it's. It's it's one of those things. You started the thing that Cena is now doing. Yeah. So it, it's cool that you passed the torch, but it is like, man, remember that first guy who had the torch? That was awesome. And Cena's uh, the only person I endorse for doing that. I'm sure people every week try and like warm around it because I know they were doing that when I was there. So I'm sure now they see it as an easier yeah. position to, uh, but hopefully uh, they don't let anyone do it but Cena. Um but he he's amazing at it. I mean, it's different how I do it. You know, he's more a little more scripted and like, you know, he'll spend time, that, you know, for a few days writing jokes on the battles and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm a little more free flowing. Um, so, uh, but I think if I were to come back, I would battle. Because uh, Cena's great. He, you know, he you know maybe if he was sick one night and they say, hey, do you want to hate? Uh, so you know, we'll see what happens. That's cool um are we good on time i mean you could probably squeeze out another question i think we're oh okay if i can squeeze out i mean right now we are at two hours and 10 minutes all right if um my favorite quote from the whole show was when they brought in 
the version of Richard Pryor. Right. And uh, I'm going to read this. This is an actual quote from the show, and I think it showcases how good the writing is. It was really impressive. Uh, the One of the comedians asked Richard Pryor's manager about Richard Pryor, like, and then like saying, I think I know Richard Pryor. And then this was, uh, this was the manager's response to, the, to this. That man is a meteor floating out in space, and he's been heading this way for a long time. He's ready now. He's entered Earth's atmosphere. When you're, what you're really seeing is pieces of a man splintering, breaking off, leaving a trail that is so bright you can't help but stare at it and shield your eyes at the same time. Now, what I was going to ask you is, was there a comedian of your generation who reminds you of that quote, who was literally, you just, you could not help but stare at it and shield your eyes at the same time? Was there someone of your generation who, I'm not saying is Richard Pryor, because no one's Richard Pryor, but just had that quality of like, I cannot look away even though it hurts me like an eclipse of a sun. I would say uh, Dice Clay. Yeah. You know, I think people forget how uh, big he was and like, you know, how he he did what Dane Cook did. But when Dice did it, there was no MySpace. There was no Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. First comedian to sell out Madison Square yeah, Garden? Like three nights in a row. That's amazing. Like with no online presence because they're really, the internet yeah. was still a baby. So, I mean, that was, uh, he just had a presence. He was like a bigger, he was like Fonzie on steroids. But super funny. If you listen to his jokes, and you just listen to the CD instead of visually see it, the, the jokes are still really funny. So uh, I would say him and Jim Carrey. I just because you know Jim Carrey's awkwardness and like lanky, like body movements and and the material's great. Uh, those two really stand out. You know, has people are like even if you didn't necessarily like the style of humor, you still watched because it's like this is different than. Just some guy like versus me who just stands there, doesn't move a lot, and just does his jokes. It's like uh, they engage you into like roping you in. Yeah, I, I that that was that quote. Like out of all, like the the show has a lot of poignant moments and can really get to you. But when they bring in Richard Pryor, the show gets to a new level, and the guy who plays him does a great job. Um, but uh, I guess. The, uh, are we about out of yeah, yeah i mean if you yeah. got a quickie i mean i'm we're still recording so um so i guess the other the other thing i just i thought this was funny you used to have really long hair and then you chopped it off um there's a comedian in the show who at the end of one of the episodes he has like this really long hair and then at the end he kind of he gets all of it chopped off for a job and he kind of um he has this look on his face like he's either seeing his dad or like the authority figure he hated <laughs> growing up. And he's like, I'm that person now. Why did you cut your hair? Well, first of all, let me give a shout out to that actor, Stephen Guarino, who is amazing on the show. Uh, he's uh, I love that man. He's yeah. uh, like one of the main reasons I looked forward to coming to the set every day because he was so amazing and he's an actor yeah and for context in the show he looks like he's in like an 80s metal band like his hair is just ridiculous and you know or, or like a 70s hippie band and then he shaves everything and he looks like a really boring version of like harlan williams or like your dad yeah. you know he just he looks as white wonder bread as possible you know just boring 40s year old so did you were you did 
were you forced to cut your hair? Were you scared to cut your hair? No, I had a bad breakup. And uh, <laughs> I was like, all right, it's time to like switch it up, get, <laughs> get short hair, chop it up. And, uh, you know, that's really that simple. <laughs> I, I was just always curious about that because I used to have really long hair just like you and I had to chop it as well. And it was also for women. So that's, that's really funny. But yeah. Um, but plus I was also to a smaller degree, I was starting to audition for commercials a lot and there's just n virtually no roles for people with long hair in commercials. Uh, you know, uh, Mikey McKernan, if you uh, yeah, yeah. love uh, LA comedy, he's a legend of LA comedy. He's in the Geico commercials with the sipping the cup in the back seat with his two friends when the car breaks down like he's like one of the only he's like might be the only guy with long hair who gets commercials so yeah, and, and it would just suck when you had long hair because you'd all it's like you and the 20 other long-haired actors would all go out for the same gigs so uh and they already made Slapshot, you know yeah so it's so, like you're already because that was the that's like your look right there so it's already the hansen brothers <laughs> yeah so uh you know, yeah, but the breakup, uh, you know, was the main reason. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna switch it up, get get short hair and like, <laughs> shave, and you know, it was like that, very much like that scene, uh, you know, and I'm dying up here where uh, Stephen, you know, just uh, has to, he has to do it because of his job. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, I used to have hair down almost my ass, <laughs> and then uh, cut off a few inches, and then the breakup happened, and I just literally walked in uh, to my friend Marcy uh, at the time, and uh, I was the best man at her wedding, uh, and I was a, she worked at a hair place in Studio City. I'm like, chop it all off. <laughs> so and i kind of like it now no i mean obviously the you know it's it's been very well received you know among among the store crowd but yeah i just you know i had to ask you that just very curious um is that are we about i mean if you got uh how many more questions oh you... i got i can go and go i um, mean we can keep going i mean we're still recording okay i just you know i didn't want to screw up your system or anything um one of the things this this quote really actually uh, got to me. It's um, actually, you know what? Okay, then yeah. I, okay, I think then it I'm... just record shit. Uh, yeah, I think we're done. All right. Uh, Should I wrap it up right now? Hold on one second. No problem. Start the question. Okay. Yeah, we're back. We're back. Sorry. Uh, we're we're still recording. Fuck it. We'll do it live. <laughs> uh, so, um, one of the my one of my favorite quotes in the show was, uh, "We don't suffer from our art. We love it. The ones who love us are the ones who suffer." Do you uh, do you feel like you agree with that? That that you know, it's it's harder to uh, be uh, be in the comedian's world and supporting them than it is for us to be the comedian. I mean, it, there's a lot of suffering, uh, certainly in the world of stand-up. So, uh, you know, I mean, I, I feel that. Um, and it, it's tough because it's a very selfish business. You know, you have to constantly be thinking about yourself. But you rely on the support of others to get you through the suffering. So it's uh, it's a tough question to answer. Like, I don't know if there's a right answer for that one. Mm. You know, you... It's a lonely business, which is crazy because you're in a business that involves you telling jokes in front of hundreds of people. 
at times. You know, it's like, you know, roast battle tonight will be packed and every battler that's battling will get the rush of that crowd. And then when they go home, they're alone. Yep. So it's very much like the 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 pilot of I'm Dying up here where, you know, here the, the dude is on uh, the Tonight Show. He gets the couch, which was like the gold standard of any. That was like getting yep. a movie deal back then to get the couch on Carson. Um, and then, you know, and literally an hour later, he's down the street at the hotel by himself. Yep. So it's, he's, it's, just, he's just watching with room service and a beer. Yeah. And, so. and that's, that to me was such a surreal moment. I just, I, I, I really loved that. Cause it's, it's kind of like we all dream as comedians, we all dream of that moment. And then in reality, it's like, you're just, you're having like a steak dinner with like, you know, beer and you're having, you know, you're just having room service and it's, it's, I don't know. Sometimes we think it's going to be grander than it is. And sometimes the simple parts of it. Well, I mean, really it's a beautiful. crazy business because you're, like I said, you're, you know, you're, well, you know, you're in front of hundreds of people at any given time. And then, you know, like after roast battle, let's just say roast battle in particular, you go on the patio, there's everyone's talking about the show and what they got going on. And then you go home and you're literally alone, you know, unless you have roommates or a dog. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't think there's a, business in the world where you're you know within one hour around 200 people and then alone yeah unless you're a bartender i guess yeah I, the other thing that was interesting they showcase in the show is that like you said uh carson was the thing and then that was pretty much your only pathway to ascending as a star and to get into movies and to cross over from just like being a comedian to being like a star across the country and they mentioned that there's only a limited amount of slots you know there's only a certain amount of people who get on the tonight show and do you think that because there were so much less opportunities that there was a different culture with comedians like do you think it was more competitive more cutthroat more bitter or jealous because of that or is that just a, the nature of the industry itself Oh, there's definitely more uh, bitterness and, you know, cutthroat because there's literally one show. It was The Tonight Show. There's no Kimmel. There was no, uh, uh, you know, Conan. There was no, uh, you know, um, Netflix. There was no uh, Comedy Central. There was no HBO. There was no Showtime. Or no even YouTube for people like Adam Devine to put up his stuff that would turn into workaholics. Right. You had one show and you had, like, uh, you know, maybe in, in 50, uh, I don't know, however many weeks they filmed, you know, they had maybe 30 to 40 comics on a year at, uh, out of a pool of a thousand, uh, you know, and that's just in LA. And, and a thousand's probably being conservative, plus whoever was in New York and, and the rest of the country. So you, I mean, you know, it's like trying to get into the NBA. You've got, you know, what, 600 players in the NBA, and you've probably got 50,000 people who, to varying degrees, are good, not good enough to be in the NBA, but pretty close yeah, for play. 600 spots. Yeah. Same thing in hockey. You know, even now, it's like, you know, there's never been more opportunities for comics to make it, to get on TV, but it's still, like, you know pretty tight it's you know it's not like netflix has a different comic on every night or showtime or you know the late night talk shows uh, i mean kimmel i think has you know maybe one comic on a month 
you know, if that, and, you know, I think Conan has, has the most, uh, Seth Rogen or not Seth Rogen, uh, who's, uh, Seth Myers, Seth Myers, you know, he has a few comics on here and there, uh, uh you know, James Corden, I'm not sure, uh, you know, I don't watch a lot of the late night shows, but like, it's still tight to uh, get, but it's never been easier. I think at the same time to, uh, you know, make it whatever that means. You know, like my friend uh, Whitney Rice, you know, sh she's doing amazing because she just makes her own videos on YouTube. She edits them. She put does two or three a week, and you know, she, you know, is with a big agency because they saw her YouTube videos. So you can literally make videos on your iPhone, and uh, if they're funny, you know, someone will see them. You know, and. But then it's just, uh, you know, Steven Seagal said in Under Siege 2, chance favors the prepared mind. <laughs> That's a good way to end it, I think. All right. Yeah, very, Seagal yeah, quote. Yeah, yeah, this has been an amazing thing. We went it's been long. We are at... Uh, Two hours. I mean, I, we're, uh, who knows? I mean, I think besides Tommy, that's one of the longest ones. So Absolutely, I'll, I'll take credit. I'll I'll, t I'll be very proud of that one. And so, honestly, if you felt like this interview was done improperly, send all your complaints, all your comments, or maybe even you know, I'm Jewish. I don't know how to take compliment, but if there is a compliment out there somewhere, maybe you can send that to me. You can find me at pretty much everywhere. Eric Abenante, E R I C. Abenante, A-B-B-E-N-A-N-T-E. -E. I have a roast next week. Uh, not this Tuesday, not today, Tuesday, but next Tuesday. I have a roast against Fizz Asani. And I am the showrunner for the High Tonight Show with Victor Martinez. And we have a show this Friday. And I'd love for you to check that out. But yeah, those are all my plugs. Just check that out. Uh, Where is that show? Like, What do you mean, check it out? Um, uh, it's on YouTube, and you can Google The High Tonight Show, and we have it on uh, we have it on YouTube, so just Google The High Tonight Show, and it will come up. We have put it all on YouTube now, so, and I'm very I'm very proud of it. Victor Martinez, one of my first friends in comedy, we've uh, we roasted, and now we're, uh, we have a show together, so it's, uh, it's fun to do. Uh, and yeah, just uh, thank you so much for Earl like i don't think people realize you know i am a very low level comedian for him to give me any opportunity to do something like this means a lot to me it's very big for me so to the, the listeners thank you so much and earl thank you oh no problem thanks for doing a great job and being prepared and uh you know uh it's always fun to uh be asked questions about things i talk a lot so uh you know when you're hosting a podcast i don't like talking a lot because it's about the guests so, uh, you know, it's neat to uh, have the audience see what's inside my brain from time to time. And, uh, you know, Inappropriate Earl, you guys know where to find it, SoundCloud and iTunes. And, uh, you know, if you could share it on Facebook and, you know, tweet out the link if you may. It does help the numbers. And, you know, the better the numbers, you know, the bigger name guests I ask and, uh, you know, uh, go, okay, this guy's got a decent podcast. Uh, so, uh, you know, I try and get non-comics and non-roast battle people on, you know, but it's uh, it's not as easy as it looks. You know, I do it all out of my home, as you know. So, uh, you know, if you guys can share the love, it helps me get bigger. I don't do this for the money. I, don't, I make no money doing this podcast. So, uh, you know, if I work for free, you guys can send out a, a link on Twitter. <laughs> or share it on Facebook. It helps. I mean, you know, one, you know, you tweet out one link of this show tomorrow and maybe, uh, 
you know, Joe Rogan favorites it or whatever. And it's just literally dominoes, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, help me help you help you help me. So inappropriate Earl SoundCloud and iTunes, leave a review on iTunes if you haven't done so already. And, uh, we got some fun guests coming up, uh, the great Yoshi Obayashi, a uh, very funny comic who's got an interesting life, delved into porn and whatnot. And then the complete opposite of that, the lovely and talented uh, comedian and great roast battler herself, Gene Whitney, coming on pretty soon. And, uh, you know, who knows? Next, we're still trying to get Stephen Piercy on. And, uh, you know, he's busy with rat touring again. And uh, But we'll uh, try and get some musical guests on because it's been a while. And uh, you got a big UFC card this Saturday, July 29th, my mom's birthday. Uh, John Bones Jones versus uh, Daniel Cormier. It's a, that'd be a good roast battle because those guys really hate each other. Uh, and it's going to be a great fight. And then uh, Cyborg uh, is fighting on that card too. He's a good dude. Uh, just kidding. Uh, so uh, thank you guys. Inappropriate Earl. Twitter, Facebook, share it, learn it, love it. Inappropriate Earl. Baby.